tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Good morning. Welcome along to Tip Today on uh, this Wednesday, the first day of March. Can you believe? Uh, coming up on the show today, one family story of how their four-year-old son was almost killed in a freak accident. An investigation into the state's handling of COVID. We hear of one caricature girl's mental health project to help others. Our GP, Dr. Pat Harold, will speak to us today about ovarian cancer. The Gardaí keep us up to speed on what's been happening around the county. And uh, we have hidden histories with uh, Dr. Connor Reedy today. Rather, rather special hidden histories today as well. And, of course, we have gardening with the great Alton Nesbitt, our celebrity gardener. So if you have a gardening query, will you log it with us, please, on 083 311 Our free phone number, 1800-938-007. And uh, Emma is looking after this morning's show. We have that competition for you as well, another €100 Euro voucher from our good friends at Aramont Furniture in Nina. And we have one to give away every day this week, in fact. But uh, that's all by way of celebration of the brand new range of garden furniture. And they're inviting you in store to check out some wonderful garden furniture for the summer. And as well as that, they look after the bedroom, the dining room, living room, sofas and all sorts of accessories. And they've been doing so very successfully for the last 25 years indeed. So that prize is based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. And just put Aramount at the end of your contribution and we will pop you in the draw. 83 311 Quick look at what's been making headlines in your newspapers today. The Irish Times are telling us that the government and the European Union expect British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak to proceed with the new deal on the Northern Ireland Protocol even if the DUP ultimately rejects it. And that's according to sources in Dublin and Brussels. And also on the Irish Times today, there's been a significant drop in the number of international protection applicants arriving in Ireland in recent weeks, raising hopes among officials of an easing of the asylum seeker accommodation crisis. To the uh, Irish Daily Mail, and they're telling us that older people need to shake off the fear induced by the COVID-19 pandemic, stop isolating and start socialising again. And that's according to the chief medical officer. And three years after Ireland's first case of COVID was reported, many people are still struggling indeed to return to their normal lives, but uh, need to integrate again for the sake of their mental health and to live a longer, healthier life, experts have warned. And uh, that's true, but uh, it's easier said than done for many people. We'll be speaking to uh, Padre Tobin of Antu uh, about uh, COVID and uh, the state's response to COVID a little later on in the programme today. To the Irish Independents, and they're telling us that highly sought-after tech workers are commanding pay hikes of up to 15% despite a recent slump in the sector. Now a new report shows uh, premium rates are still being offered for the most in-demand positions in the tight labour market, even as some roles are being cut at multinational uh, firms such as Google and Meta as well. Also reading today on the Indo that Energy Minister Eamon Ryan has called on Electric Ireland to pass on price cuts to households as soon as possible. Now that comes, you might remember yesterday we spoke about this, 
Um, the opposition TD said that the utility must explain why it was reducing prices for businesses but not for households, which all sounds a bit ridiculous, but there you are. Finally, a quick look at the examiner. Uh, their main story today, up to 6,000 patients are in a living nightmare due to a wait of several months for cancer test results because of a major laboratory uh, backlog in the southeast. And the bosses at Waterford University Hospital have issued an emergency alert to the health minister because demand is exceeding capacity, resulting in a delay to tests being screened. So that's a quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. If you want to comment on any of that, 1800 938 007. Now, Amanda and James O'Dwyer are organising a fundraiser as they are deeply grateful to the Irish Community Air Ambulance volunteers whose rapid response, along with a fantastic local community response, was crucial to saving the life of their son Jack when he was injured in a freak accident at his home late last year. I met with Amanda in Dundrum House yesterday where she told me Jack's story. So Jack is five and he was four at, at the time of the accident right. when it happened. Um, Jack's a real funny boy to be quite honest. He's the life and soul of our family. Um, really, really good sense of humour. Oh, he loves a good song, Jack does. And does loves he? dancing. Yeah, absolutely loves it. Anybody who knows Jack, he's nearly a celebrity at this stage. <sighs> but before the accident... All of Dundrum, Nakavella, know Jack, like, you know, and he knows everybody. Right. Um, and would make himself known, to be quite honest. <laughs> but, yeah, Jack goes to school in Nakavella. Mm-hmm. He's in junior infants down there. Loads of friends. Teachers love him. Um, yeah, he's just a really, really good little boy. But sure, I suppose I'm a bit biased, <laughs> to be quite honest. Not at all. Tell me what happened on that fateful day. What day was it, by the way? What day? So was it? it was Sunday, the second of October. Okay. What 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 happened? To um, we were at home, and Jack normally plays outside himself and his brother Daniel. But that day, the two of them decided to be inside playing. It was kind of raining outside. They never go into the playroom. Never. Now we had a treadmill in the playroom, which we had bought for for Jack's sister, who's type one diabetic, and. I heard the treadmill being turned on, so I went down, gave out to them, turned the treadmill off, but I never plugged it out. So that was fine. I went back up to the kitchen and I was making the dinner. I remember looking at the clock and it was quarter to four because I thought I'd be collecting my daughter Maya from work at five. Mm. So I just took the two chickens out of the oven and then at that, myself and my husband heard help being called, but it was no normal help. This was something I've never heard before in my life, to Screaming. be honest. I don't know how to describe it. Yeah. Plenty of people have said, like, how did it sound? I honestly don't. I can't describe how Daniel called help. It was like a real... something I don't want to witness ever again, to be quite honest. So mm. myself and James both ran at the same time. We went down and James just started screaming and shouting and calling Jack's name for a response. There was no response. He was blue, practically purple. So James... James picked up the treadmill and we kind of pulled Jack out. What exactly happened to Amanda? So Jack was wearing a Tipperary jersey that day Mm. and his his jersey got caught in the belt of the treadmill. Now, we don't know if he was sitting on it. Was he had his back turned to to the treadmill and the treadmill sucked him in? We don't know. Um, But it strangled him. Basically strangled him. So it got cut around his neck? So with the force of the belt going around, it tugged the jersey and literally pulled it so tight that, that the jersey strangled him and then his head was on the belt so the belt must be moving at some stage he got badly burned to 
to his left side. My God. So, I mean, there must have been panic, was there? There was panic, but you know what? Looking back, we were very... We were we were panicked, but we were calm at the same time, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah. We knew we had a job to do. So James, um, my daughter Kira came on. Kira got a knife and she, she cut the jersey. Then James ran up to the kitchen, put Jack on the kitchen table, and he started ringing 999. So I put Jack into the recovery position, fell for his pulse. He wasn't breathing, so I started massaging his lung just to get there. And I didn't know if that was the right or wrong mm. thing to do, but he started gasping a little bit. Then Kira just went running, so she went running to our next-door neighbour, who is a nurse, and she came and she performed CPR straight away. Now, um, 999 were still on the line at the same time. Right. So they, so they were helping out, they were giving advice, they? Were they? they were talking to, yeah. and um, my next-door neighbour was corresponding to them and just kind of telling them... Yes what was going on or whatever I suppose all the medical terms Yeah. Um, then we were just told there was an ambulance on the way and a helicopter so before I knew it then it was like my, my mind went blank for about half an hour to be quite honest I kind of stood back and let my neighbour to it I knew right. she was the woman for the job I didn't know what to do. And and what sort of condition was Jack in at that point? I mean, so, could you, was he breathing at that point? Um, very, very shallow. Okay. Very, very shallow. Um, in and out. He did start breathing a couple of times. Um, when the paramedics came, they, they did have... They had to help him. But, yeah, he was unresponsive. His eyes were closed. He just... Yeah, it was like if he was just asleep on my kitchen table. Now, your home is in Nakavella, isn't it? My home is in Nakavella, right. yeah. Right. So the idea that a helicopter was uh, arriving then, I mean, where were they going to land? Or how was that? Yeah, so my next-door neighbour, he's a farmer, and thank God he had no problem with a helicopter being landed in, in his fields. Whatever we needed to do, he said, work away, do do whatever has to be done. Helicopter literally landed right beside my house, beside my front gate. Um, it must have all been like a dream, was it? It was like a dream, and even looking back now, I'm like thinking, did that actually happen? Like right. sometimes I actually have to sit back and think, God, did that actually happen to us as a family? You know, and then it hits, the bang hits, and it's like, yeah, it did happen. Right. And and did an ambulance arrive at the same time as the helicopter? Ambulance arrived at the same time, and and the guardy as well. They all kind of. They all seem to be there at the same time, to be right. honest. Um, yeah, my daughter, Kira, to be fair, she unlocked the electric gates. She went out onto the road to direct the ambulance in. She was she was unbelievable for a 14-year-old right. girl that day. And what about you and James at this point, then? I mean, you, um, At this point... Were you sort of almost watching all of this going on? Because it was taken out of your hands to some degree, was it? It was taken out of our hands mm. completely, yeah. Now yeah. James was beside Jack the whole time yeah. I kind of welded myself to the kitchen wall to be, co- yeah. to be honest my family all arrived and they only for them they, they were all with me and but James never left his side or my or my brother um, they were kind of there holding his hand and talking to him the whole time to be honest I just felt pure useless I couldn't understand or even believe what was happening, to be honest. Right. Well, you were leaving it to people who had the skills necessary, I suppose. They had the it? skills. Look, the paramedics, they came in and they just all worked in uniform together. Nobody spoke to each other. They just all knew what they had to do. Each job, they all had to do. It was like rotation. 
I remember standing back watching them, like they never actually spoke to each other. They just all had the job to do and they done it. Now and they never they never told James to get away from the kitchen table or they worked around James. Right. You know, they uh, James did they say understood, they understood. Yeah. They understood. At the end of the day their parents of themselves course. and their families, but they never said, Get out of our way, you're in our way. Nothing. So did they remove Jack then to the helicopter, was that? Yeah, so they got Jack ready for the helicopter um yeah, and they, they brought him out into the helicopter. James got to go with him. And before they put Jack in, they took myself and James to the side and they promised us that they would do whatever they could for him and they brought him straight up to Temple Street then in Dublin. Were you able to follow on then at some point? So James went in the helicopter mm. with Jack and the the guards brought me up. They gave me a guard escort straight up to Dublin. Yeah, they got me up there in, in jig time, to be honest, wow. yeah. And there was a second car waiting for us at the Red Cow roundabout. And they escorted myself and my sister-in-law straight into straight into Temple Street. It's incredible. I mean, we don't realise the way um, action is kicked into by, by these guys and the no. girls, uh, you know, in emergency situations and no. how they work so professionally. And do you know what? They're not actually appreciated. Even the Gardaí, like, that day... You know, everybody has this perception of them, but that day, what they'd done for me, like, they were unbelievable. Like, and there was a bank guard in the front of the car, like, and we prayed in that car going up to Dublin. Like, she prayed alongside with me, like, and made sure I was okay and gave me water and, Sorry. you know, and put her hand back and held my hand. Like, she, she was unbelievable, to be honest. So, you got to the hospital. What, what did you find when you got there? So I got to the hospital, I uh, was brought straight in and we didn't see Jack for about three hours. So Jack was taken off um, for CT scans, um, bloods, the whole lot. He was ventilated at, at that stage. So um, after the three hours, we met the neurosurgeons and the doctors and they did tell us that they were 90% sure that Jack was going to live, but they didn't know his quality of life. Um were you thinking then? I mean, what was going through your head at that point? I just thought, you know, whatever it is, it is, and we'll face it as a family. Sorry. Yeah. And I remember my husband saying to me, if we can get through this in life, we'll get through. We'll get through anything, you know. And myself and James are so lucky. Like, our family are unbelievable. Mm. We have a really, really good family behind mm. us, both of us. And we knew that whatever Jack needed that we would have, we'd have backup. Mm. So, yeah, the neurosurgeon said that he was going to live, but what state Jack was going to wake up when they took him out of, off the ventilator, they, they hadn't a clue. Right. So the days went and the nights went, myself and James religiously sat beside him. We prayed, read him stories. And on the third day, I was reading Jack, a storybook. It was called Jerry the Giraffe. And his little finger started moving in my hand. And I called the nurse and she said, he can hear you, just keep reading. And Jack loves the story, Jerry the Giraffe, to mm -hmm. be honest. And I was singing to him. Um, and Jack loves the song, you know, Oh Danny Boy. But mm. my brother taught him the words, Oh Jackie Boy. <laughs> so Jack knows that song off by heart. Right. And so I was singing that into his ear and he started twitching. 
So she said to me, um, it's good that he can, he's responding. So that was on the Wednesday. On the Thursday, then they brought him down for his CT scans. And they told us he was only going to be an hour for his, for his CT. An hour ran into two hours and then two and a half hours and Jack still wasn't back up. So myself and James started to become a bit panicky. So um, at that, the elevator door opened and Jack's nurse who was looking after him that day, she came out and I asked her, um, you know, what was going on? Was he OK? And she started laughing and then she said to me, you're never going to believe, she said, in the middle of the CT scan, now he was in this big circle yeah, of a thing, yeah. whatever, and he tried to put his two elbows underneath him. And I started laughing, I said, I don't believe you. And she said, look, we had to give him double, double the dose to fully knock him out. Um, she said, but he's really reacting to the noises and the sounds. Now, he was still ventilated at this stage. Um, so she said, look, we have ten tests done, we have two more to do, but everything's looking as no positive. So she said, I'm going to have my lunch and come back down, and then we're going to bring him back up. Mm. Um, so like that, the half hour went, they brought him back up. So the plan was to keep him ventilated until Friday. So... She said, we'll be back out in half an hour. We're going to get him to settle back into ICU. We'll come back out and get you and bring you back in. Like that, an hour turned into an hour and a half, turned into two hours. I knocked on the door and she came running out and I said, like, is everything OK? She said, Amanda, I promise I'll be back out in half an hour. Mm. Um, maybe 20 minutes, she said, look, I have a job to do. So mm. she ran off. Myself and James started praying again. I thought, oh, something's after going terribly wrong. She came back out and she said, well, lads, it's like this. <laughs> she said, we went to move him straight into the bed and he put the hand up to pull the ventilator out. Oh, my God. So she had to ring ring the head doctor and he just said, go ahead and, and take the ventilator yeah. off him and see, obviously, he's agitated. He mm. knows it's there. Obviously, the mind is working working the way it should do. Take, him, take it off. So she said, he's a little bit agitated in there. He can't talk. His eyes aren't open. But... Just go with it. Mm. It's going to be hard, but go with it. This is going to be a rough 24 hours, she said, but go with it. So I went in and she told me to get into the bed beside him and hold him in my arms. And she said, you've waited four mm. long days for this, get in beside him. So I held him and he calmed down straight away. It's like as if he knew I was, I was there, even though he was fully... Yeah. No, he was on a lot of, of medicines and drugs. He he knew why he was there. Um, so then he, I suppose the hours kind of passed on and he started to kind of come more around. Now it took him um, nearly a full 24 hours to open his eyes. And when he did, it was like the day he was born all over, to be honest. He just, yeah, he called Mammy and Daddy and I just knew then that he knew us, that he was going to be OK. Now, at this stage, we hadn't talked to the, any kind of doctors or anything since. But you knew at that I knew. Yeah. yeah, I knew. And then he... When, after Mammy and Daddy, he said, where's my green tractor? And I thought, you're OK. You are OK. And then the nurse came in, and she was there, like, Jack, your eyes are opened. And he turned around to her, and he said... Uh, <laughs> Where's my Uncle Joe's quad? You took my Uncle Joe's quad. <laughs> and she said, no, I didn't take it. He said, you did, and you better give it back. And she was laughing. She says, that is your little boy. And I said, 
that's Jack and I just knew then that he was 100% going to be okay now the hours then went on that day and she came back and she said uh, ask him what he like chicken nuggets and chips and he whispered to me will you tell her I only like beef and spuds <laughs> so I told her and she said God she said if he wants beef and spuds he can have whatever he wants so she came back then again and her mum had met her homemade cookies and she said I bet you Jack likes homemade cookies literally give him the full lunchbox of cookies she said he can have whatever he wants you know this was in the middle of ICU and like the most cleanliness place ever and there was chocolate <laughs> chips and crumbs everywhere but nobody cared nobody cared nobody. and all the nurses kept coming in and this is the famous Jack O'Dwyer and right. yeah but they really took the time to sit down and ask what kind of a child Jack was and you know like his personality and what he liked to do like they had those nurses had had a job to do in ICU but they wanted to know Jack as a child not just Jack as a patient lying yes. here and we have to look after him and they wanted to know what kind of personality this little boy had you know his brothers his sisters his family his school everything they wanted to know everything about him which I thought was was really really nice to be quite honest yes. yeah yeah, yeah so how is he now Jack's 100% <laughs> not a bother on him he's and yeah does he refer to what happened or? every now and again he might say something small right um, we w- we were told to always put him in the right direction and not to ever fob it off. Yes. So we do if he... Like, he might just say something. I won't say what he said, okay. but um, we would just kind of correct him and put him put him on the right road. Right. That's for fear of what? That the trauma might affect that him? That the trauma so. might yeah. affect him okay. in later days. Right. Um, but no, he's perfect. He's He went back to school after three weeks. Um, now, he did go back kind of three hours a day at a yes. time. He was still tired and coming down, I suppose, off medicines and stuff. But then one day he turned around to me and he said, um, why can't I stay Why can't I stay to two o'clock like everybody else? Yes. So I thought, you're ready to stay ready to two to o'clock. Yes, yeah. that's fantastic. Because of the service and because of how you were looked after, particularly by the, the helicopter crew and all of that, tell me what it is that you're doing by way of giving something back, I suppose, about it. So to be honest, friend, the idea came from from my two, I suppose all my family, my two brothers, they decided to do um, a charity ride. Um, we we as a family just want to give something back. Mm. The service that day, like I couldn't believe that the air ambulance wasn't funded at, at that time. It wasn't funded. Those paramedics are all volunteers who just volunteer on their days off, off of work. And that those men don't get paid. I actually couldn't. I couldn't believe it, to be quite honest. Like I, every, they don't get paid. They, those volunteers don't get paid. They're they're volunteering on their days off from. So the paramedics, some of them are doctors, nurses, and they're doing this service on their days off. The helicopter, as of two weeks ago, is now government funded. But at the time of Jack's accident, it wasn't. It was, it was funded by I suppose everybody's kindness yes. fundraisers. So we're fundraising for. Um, the air ambulance have now, I suppose they have re, they, they have rebranded um, into Critical, so they're putting um, these jeeps on the road. So they're going to be fully kitted out, like like the air ambulance. Mm. They're going to have ventilators, defibrillators, everything that they need to do for somebody in a critical in a critical state. Yes. While like. 
while they're, I suppose, waiting for the air ambulance or for more for more people to come to help on the scene. But, um, yeah, so we're fundraising. I suppose it's just to give something back and to say thanks. Right. You're doing it in great style as well. Tell me the kind of fundraiser you're doing, because we're here in Dundrum House uh, right now, but on Saturday, this is where it'll all start off from. Yeah, so on Saturday, um, it's going to start at half eleven, so we're doing um, a charity ride. Now, sometimes when you say a charity ride, people have asked me, so is it bicycles? <laughs> and I'm like, no. Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's horses. You've got a particular route that the horses are going to follow, isn't it? Yeah, so they're going to turn left at the um, at Dundrum House gates. They're going all up along Kilmore, all up along, um, over towards the Golden Road, back into Killinore, and then back up into Dundrum. I think, as far as I know, it's over a three-mile course. Um, my two brothers, with alongside some helpers, have given a lot of weeks now out mapping this out, great right. thought into it. Lot of mucky boots. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, to be fair to them, they've a lot of effort a lot of effort put into this. Right. Now, if you have a horse and if you want to take part in this, you can still do that, can't you? Yeah, you can still do it. Anybody everyone's more than welcome to come whether you have a horse or you don't have a horse. If you just want to come and look, I suppose, at everything that's going on, everyone's more than welcome. Um and, and donate, which is the main Everyone thing. can donate. Right. So, if, if you are taking a horse on the sponsored ride, which is essentially what it is, what will it cost to do that? So it's €8 euro per adult, um, €40 euro for a child. But like that, friend, if people come and they have two or three kids... You look after them. We'll, yeah, yeah, we will, okay. yeah, of course. Um, in terms of how difficult the ride is as well, it's it's sort of scaled down, is it, for somebody who mightn't be Yeah, as so it's scaled down for anybody who doesn't want to, like a certain particular jump or, like if there's a child that doesn't want to do it, there's always a gate option. It's going to be very safe. Um, we have a lot of helpers on hand, people on gates. It is going to be very safe for... Very safe for people. Very good. So yeah. it's this coming Saturday, and it's kicking off at what time? So registration's from 11.30. Uh, the ride itself is going to head off at 1 o'clock. Back to the venue then about 3, half 3. Uh, then we have some music. Yes. And then we have an auction and we have a raffle. Very good. Will people get an opportunity to meet the star of the show, Jack? Will he be here? Well, Jack will be here with his wellies, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> Jack will be here, yeah. Um, oh, he's taking this very serious now. Oh, yeah, he, he thinks he needs to bring up his wheelbarrow and put some water in it and go around to everybody and give them a bottle of water. But, yeah, he's Jack's taking this, this very serious. Is he it? was out himself yeah. helping, um, helping my two brothers and my husband and my brother-in-law last weekend out in the course and setting up jumps, and sure, he loved it. I always knew what their ambulance was. Always heard about it, mm. never actually knew what they'd done, the whole kind of background of it. I suppose nobody would know until you're actually in, in that situation that anybody needs it, but it's such a big service and it's such a valued service, to be quite honest. I'll forever be grateful for each and every person that day that stood in my kitchen and helped Jack, from the paramedics to my neighbour... To all, all my neighbours, community, I'll forever, ever, oh, sorry. Not at all. Yeah. You'd be grateful to them, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Amanda, thanks very much indeed. Thank you, friend.
Well, that's uh, Amanda Breen O'Dwyer speaking to me about uh, those events uh, surrounding that freak accident with her her son, uh, Jack, who was four at the time. Um, Lots of reaction to this already. Fran, that's so awful. Bless the little boy. And uh, somebody else saying, God love them, I'm here bawling my eyes out, says Joe. Another listener, I don't cry, but I'm in tears listening to Amanda. Teresa was on to say, what a beautiful outcome, and I wish them every happiness. And into us on WhatsApp, uh, last, uh, lots more as well. Great to see Jack making a fantastic recovery after such a terrible accident. Well done to his parents and all of the medical personnel for the rapid response. The air ambulance should always get our support. And that comes in from uh, Phil, who is in Clonmel today. And uh, another person saying, well done to Jack, the little fighter, listening to the story. Put a shiver down your back. Just shows how quickly life can change. Very best of luck to Jack's family. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Brian Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie 1800 Carmel joins me now. Carmel, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Good to talk to you today, Carmel. You are concerned that, you know, people who are being cared for, that they need heating all year round in a lot of cases, Carmel, and they need to be looked after. That's right. I'm reiterating what um, uh, Richie Malloy said uh, after he had spoken uh, to Gareth Ahern, I think it was, uh, last week. And the thing is that um, depriving people of the April payment is unrealistic because there are people, and I feel very, very sorry for them, and we're living in a small state, and there is a surplus, and the government were boasting about the surplus. But what good is a surplus if the people are, are uh, choosing between food and fuel? And you're talking about the delay in that payment until the autumn where, where fossil fuels are, are concerned. Is that, is that what you're referring that's to, That's right, Carmel? that's yeah. right indeed, yes, I yeah. am indeed. Which was being pushed and, by, and by Eamon Ryan, of course. Pushed by Eamon Ryan, who is yeah. now actually... Um, you might well call him the, the, the Taoiseach because he's the one foremost in the media all the time about the fossil fuels. I would love to invite him to a, a conventional home in the countryside and let him into a house where there's no other method of heating except for uh, solid fuel. Um, that be uh, what is, 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 uh, is uh, allowed at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, the coal that is, is smokeless fuel. And... Uh, Leave him with that and, you know, just leave him without any central heating, kerosene and all of that and see what he would do. There's some irony in the fact that uh, for St. Patrick's Day, um, Eamon Ryan, he's going to Singapore, uh, Hong Kong, Beijing and Shanghai. And and do you know, I was reading an interesting one this morning, Carmel, that the carbon footprint for that trip will exceed a whole year's worth of carbon emissions from your average family car. I was about to relay that to you. Were you? I, and, and I'm yeah, sorry yeah. for, for over, so, overstepping you then, but... No, I mean, you that, have, no, you have, you, yeah. you have it right, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't so serious, it would be laughable. 
Yeah. I mean, he's he's speaking from both sides of his mouth, really and truly. He goes on a bicycle to to uh, the door, and there's a car behind him with uh, all his, all his uh, uh, files and things. Mm. I mean, really and truly, what a situation we've got! It's ridiculous, and to see people, I, I find it I find it distressing. Mm. Uh, you know, I'm living. There are people there. They're existing. I was in Aldi. Now, briefly, I'll just say this. I was in Aldi, and I, there was an elderly woman beside me, and she said, I used to, uh, buy, I always bought this little tub of rice, 55 cents. It's now 85 cents, and I'd have my evening tea. So I went up to the counter, and I said to the girl, I'll have, I, I took eight of those, and I said, when you leave them for the lady, see the lady down there, she had a little hat on her, and uh, the colour was sort of... Um, dark brown mm. and I said will you leave them in that bag and leave them as a present don't say anything just say they were left as a what present what a lovely lovely when, thing when I came home Fran yeah. I had the awful thought that that was her evening tea alone oh, oh no, it, it wasn't a treat a dessert or something you're, yeah. you're thinking it may she have been her a, meal yeah I'm, a, yeah I'm frightened that that was her meal that oh, that was her God. evening tea you know but anyway that said um, mm. I don't want to delay on, on things uh, the situation is is that um, uh, you know we're we're just it's rather like uh, Marie Antoinette wasn't it wasn't she? Let them uh, eat cake, is it? Let them, yeah, yeah. Let, uh, yeah your subjects have uh, have no bread. Let them eat cake. Yeah. So we have the, all our TDs living in the upper echelons of society, with their two and a half thousand or something a week, and they they really and truly are not not seeing what is uh, the reality. Right. I, I see this reality all the time. And do you, do you think that because of their privileged lifestyle and their privileged salaries, that it's impossible for them to to know what's going on in ordinary households? Is that is that? I'm what you afraid mean, I do. Yeah. It was not the case before. You could go to a TD and you could read it. Now you're listened to, and you're kind of you know that's right and that's right and that's right. Okay, yes, I understand that. No, they don't. They go and they tow the line and they do the whatever is to be done. They're there from Tuesday to Friday or whatever, Tuesday to Thursday, I'm not sure, Tuesday to Thursday. And then Monday they have probably a clinic or something like that. But no, I can see, I can see myself visually. I can see the people uh, on Fridays and they're going there and their bags, are get, they're going with bags and their bags are getting smaller with the shopping. Terrible in an island. We don't have a democracy, Fran, anymore. We have what, a dictatorship. What, what do you mean I by that, that, Carmel? Well, I feel that people are not talking up because the elderly are there and there's nobody. You know, I will talk up. If I get a chance, I will talk up and I will say, this is wrong and that mm. is wrong and the other thing is wrong. But the majority, the thing is that elderly people, they've, they've lost hope mm. because they, they just take what they, they get. And I mean, just before Christmas, they, we, oh yes, the budget was brought forward to September. They got token payments then, um, and the twelve euro on their pension, which is the most important. I think the weekly money is much more important than a balloon. There, right. you know, just a, but but a, that a that, that extra few bob a week. I mean, look at the rate of uh, no the good. cost of living. I mean, it's it's all cancelled out and cancelled out time and time again. Yeah, because of the cost of yeah. living, I agree completely. And you said that over and over again. I listened to the program. Every morning, Thanks, I can listen to it. Every I do indeed because it's so interesting. Thank but you. the situation is that's exactly that is exactly what I'm saying. It's cancelled out, and now again there's another package. But this package is all staggered again, and um, 
they're giving children's allowance and, and there are people with mortgages. Mm. Parents have to go out, two parents have to go out and go to work and they have the children's allowance coming in June instead of giving the, giving it to them now and perhaps, you know, keeping the children warm and, and that and they're giving 100 euros per child. And I think that's all, yeah. that's all wonderful. But you see, it's, it's coming just before um, we're going to have a rise in the petrol and the diesel. And also, the fact of the matter is, Electric Ireland, I think it was Electric Ireland, made 21 million of a profit. Yeah, which is just and incredible. And they have to be, they have to be uh, pushed now, uh, the energy providers, into uh, giving something back to the ordinary homes after saying that they were going to give some relief to businesses. Uh, you know, it's... Yeah, the SMEs, I've no problem with, but they should be given it to customers as well because it is... Um, it is almost fully government-owned. Well, in, fair, in fairness to Eamon Ryan, seeing that we've had a go at him, Carmel, we better point out that it's he that called on Electric Ireland to pass on those price cuts to households as soon as possible. So well, wonderful. <laughs> wonderful him to do that. Sarcasm, Carmel, please. <laughs> it's, just, it's just... And what about all the rest? All right. I mean, I think we're stool pigeons up there. I oh. have to be... I, I really have lost it. And if we have to have 24 more KDs, I think I need to emigrate. Well, don't truly. don't do but that cost, anyway, Carmel. I must leave it there. Shocking. I must so, leave it there, Carmel. But, I, but really, but good I, did, I have just one more point to say. Yes. I, will, I mean, every time that Gareth Heron comes on, mm. I, he was on there the, the morning after after Richie Miller, and he actually condoned what Eamon Ryan was doing, and he said, "Well, we mustn't. Uh, we mustn't." Well, in in fairness to him, I suppose, you know, he's a member of uh, Fine Gael, so he would be giving us the party line. But he did explain, you know, well, what has been given to people so far and all of that. So that's that's kind of his... Yeah, well, we know what has been given, but I, yeah. I'll assure you that he probably has an underfloor heated house and he doesn't matter. It doesn't well, matter. Well, we, I mean, we, don't like to person, we don't like to personalise no. things. So I, 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 no, I, I, don't, I don't. I know we yeah. don't, you know, yeah. but the thing is, uh, prior to that, he was on about... Uh, and I mean, I'm a great admirer of Sabina Higgins, mm. and he said that she must be uh, misinformed when she made comments. And she's a very highly educated woman mm. and a very bright and intelligent woman as well. Right. But I mean, um, being a TD, be, well, and saying we in government, I mean, he was never voted in by by any individual. You right. know, but, never, but never in fairness, he, he is a senator, so he does have a certain, um, you know, a certain platform on which to speak for the people of Tipperary. I'm, I'm sure that would be his. Take Nobody begrudges that. that, but we would we would right. we would think of his mother Teresa, and she would she would be for people in the countryside. And we need to. What are we meant to do, uh, right. Fran? Carmel, I'm so sorry. I must leave it there because I have to get to yes. another item. But it's always good to talk to you, do. Carmel. And thank you so much yes. for coming on with me. Thank you. Yeah. You're good, welcome. Good morning, Carmel. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye, Tina. That's you, a Carmel speaking to us this morning. We'll take a break. Back in just a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. The government intends to establish an inquiry into the state's handling of the COVID-19 pandemic to inform future responses to public health emergencies. Now, key decisions about the inquiry format have not uh, been made yet, but they hope to set it up by the middle of this year. Pater Tobin, TD, is uh, the leader of uh, AN2, and he joins me in line now. Pater, good morning to you. Good morning. And really good to talk to you today. You're calling for a full investigation as opposed to a review, Pater. 
Yeah, so it's, uh, we're really, really disappointed that the government have downgraded their efforts to simply a review over what happened uh, during COVID because we believe it needs a full public investigation. And if you look at the facts, nearly 3,500 people died after catching COVID in a nursing home or in a hospital. So that's people, for example, who maybe broke a leg, went into hospital, caught COVID and came out, unfortunately, in a coffin uh, as a result of what was happening in the hospitals. In the nursing homes, we know that 27% of all deaths that happened uh, during COVID happened in nursing homes. So the people who are most vulnerable to COVID were actually left the most exposed. Um, And, you know, it's really frustrating because at the time, all the government was talking about was whether people can go to funerals, whether people could, you know, travel two kilometres from their homes, whether they could go to school or go to work. But actually, the place where it was most dangerous and um, the government weren't um, focusing on it enough, these were the areas of, you know, that were either run or owned or regulated by the state itself. Um, and we believe there was a large number of major mistakes that were made, which led to the difficulties that happened. Um, for example, at the time, we, you know, Aintu was doing research and we got information back to show that thousands of people were moved from hospitals into nursing homes in the space of just six months at the start of, of COVID. And many of those people weren't tested for COVID, uh, which meant that those people were actually seeding those nursing homes with COVID. Um, really heartbreaking, reckless action uh, by the HSE in, in moving people in this fashion uh, into those nursing homes. Mm. We also know that there was an absolute staffing crisis in the nursing homes, especially during this period of time. Um, And again, we've got FOIs and parliamentary questions which show that, you know, a nursing home in Galway, you had two staff on for 48 hours. Um, Everybody else had, uh, and the staff had caught COVID. Um, You know, five people died in those 48 hours while they were were on duty. They were crying out for, for support from the HSE. The HSE weren't uh, providing them. They, the manager had to go on radio and he was in tears discussing it and um, trying to get staff. We know of other um, uh, nursing homes that literally were, were con- bringing up um, the, the relations of their residents and asking them would they come in and help feed their, their, their And will, you, their will you tell our listeners a little of the HSE response uh, to those people who were crying out for help at the time? Paul Reid in particular I'm thinking of. Yeah, so there's, there's major frustration in, in, in relation to that and, and, and just one more example of, of that was people in nursing homes going on Facebook literally yes. looking for yep. staff. So at one level the government had created what was called the Be On Call for Ireland. And this was where 70,000 people signed up to help in hospitals and nursing homes um, in relation to this. Some people, actually medics, nurses, came home from Australia to help. Now, out of that 70,000, only 600 were ever recruited. So you have this incredible situation where we have this massive pool of help, voluntary in many cases, um, but the, the government not actually uh, employing the vast majority of those to help. And then on a micro level then, so when groups like Nursing Home Ireland, Tyg Daly for, was in contact with the minister trying to get a meeting to explain how serious things were, he couldn't get that meeting for months. And then you had um, ministers at the time, I can think of uh, Minister Mary Butler uh, contacting Paul Reid, um, and Paul Reid, 
you know, not responding for a full month in terms of, of the staffing crisis. And then when he did respond, basically saying that uh, there's no problems, the HSC had enough uh, staff to provide the necessary support. Phelan Quinn, who is the um, the CEO of HICWA, you know, in, in the same situation, really, you know, identifying that the HSC wasn't providing the support in terms of staff, uh, and yet uh, Paul uh, Reid not getting back to uh, HICWA in, in terms of this. And in actual fact, you know, Stephen Donnelly, who uh, for, for part of this was an opposition TD, he actually stated on the record of the Dáil that the HSC were intercepting staff and PPE and other materials from going to nursing homes and keeping it for the HSC itself. So there was, you know, confusion and major stress in terms of staffing and yes. that level and, of, of... And I guess the, the government would come back to you on this, Pala Tobin, and, and make the point that, you know, we were in unknown territory here. Nobody knew really what was happening. People weren't aware of maybe what the best action to take was because we were so overwhelmed. Does that hold anything for you? Well, it, it, it doesn't. And the truth of the matter is that, you know, if if it was the case that there wasn't 70,000 people available on a Beyond Call for Ireland, if there wasn't that pool of people who were willing to help, who had already signed up to help, if the government had of used 2,000, 3,000 or 4,000 of those people at the time, well, then I would say, yeah, the government probably did all they could in relation to this. But the fact that they hardly touched those individuals, mm. why didn't they recruit those people? Why didn't they phone them up? Why didn't they, they, they seek help? And why was the head of the HSC, who was phenomenally well paid, why wasn't he meeting uh, with the head of Nursing Home Ireland? Why yes. wasn't he, he meeting with the, the ministers who were crying out, um, for staffing, why was he saying that actually we had we had enough staff and everything was okay? What, what is playing into some of what you're saying is uh, the recent um, information from Professor Cormican, who is a former member of NEFID, and he came up with some very interesting stuff. I mean, he said we focus too much on short-term metrics such as case numbers and mortality, uh, too much of a, a priority given to restoring international travel, and uh, more importantly, what he said was the maxim of follow the science was misleading and amoral. Well, it, it's it, like we we were so frustrated uh, as a party during uh, the COVID crisis. Yes, there was an illness, and yes, it was a threat, but it was a massive threat for those who were older or those who were immunocompromised. And we believe that the energy should have been focused on making sure that those individuals were kept safe. But like at the time, we in Aintu were calling for you know, the government made a decision to close cancer services and heart disease yes. services and stroke services and even mental health services for people. And, you know, we were calling out those government decisions and and asking them to reinstate those services. And now we have this really shocking situation that we have a massive amount of excess deaths happening now. We've actually, in December, just gone past, there was more deaths, excess deaths in December than there was for the whole of the COVID crisis, and not a word said about it by the government. And is and that because you think of the backlog of tests and uh, procedures for people? Well, I, I have no doubt that that has, have, uh, has an effect. And I'll, t- I'll tell you why, because I had skin in the game literally in it at the time, because at the start of COVID, I got skin cancer myself. And um, I remember going to the to the services. Now, I was lucky that my... While my service, my, my treatment was delayed because of the COVID situation, uh, I did get treatment. But I remember speaking to people within the, the, the medical sector dealing with cancer, and they said 
that their waiting lists had gone from two years to six years because of the fact that the government had put restrictions on uh, how many people they could see. Uh, we, we were getting back parliamentary questions which are showing that the governments were stopping breast check, that they were stopping um, yes. uh, cervical check, and that many people you know, were having delayed diagnosis, the cancers were getting worse, and as a result, you know, it needed far more invasive treatment if treatment was going to work at all. So there was a tidal, there has been a tidal wave of, you know, more mm. uh, advanced cancers now hitting the system. And that's just in terms of right. cancer. And I'm just heading towards news here, you'll forgive me. But finally, can I ask you about litigation here? I mean, I know that already you're telling us that 44 families have taken claims against the state to achieve justice for their families. But I presume the possibility of litigation for uh, services being held up and people dying needlessly. Is that ahead of us, some sort of an avalanche? Well, and, and, and that's one of the other reasons why we need to have a proper full investigation into this. Because, first of all, families are entitled to the truth. They're also entitled to justice. And as well, we're entitled to make sure that we don't make uh, these mistakes again. Now, if the government, you know, like they often do, try to stop proper investigation, what will simply happen is there will be a rise in the number of people who will go to court themselves and take the states to court. And we know how that works, because just recently we've seen it. The, co- the government aggressively litigates against mm. people who are most vulnerable. And that means people who may have lost a, a parent during COVID, where they weren't able to hold their hands while they were dying, maybe because the parent wasn't treated properly, those individuals who have suffered significantly will now be fought tooth and nail by the government. Yes, but the Attorney General, he's come out to say that this is right and proper and this is the proper way to litigate on behalf of the taxpayer. It's, it, 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 it's, it's right and proper on an economic basis, but it's not right and proper on a moral basis. And the elected representatives in Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael that we have in there are also tasked with the job to do the right thing on a moral basis for people. It's, it's not just uh, pounds, shilling and pence. There's also a moral obligation to make sure that the most vulnerable achieve justice and truth as well. Padre Tobin, we appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Good morning to you. Thank you. That's Padre Tobin, uh, Padre Tobin even, who is the head of AN2. How, what do you make of that? 1800 938 News is on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Gormila Mahagut Pat, and uh, welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today. Still getting a huge reaction to my chat with uh, Amanda earlier on this morning about her son uh, Jack and thank you for that and we'll try and get back to some of that response uh, in just a little while. Also a lot of response to uh, Pater Tobin of Antu uh, who spoke to me just before 10 and again it's something we will uh, get back to uh, very soon but one uh, because uh, my friend Joe Noble was on and she said uh, what I don't understand about a Covid death uh, back then to the best of my knowledge when a person died having Covid they went into a coffin in whatever they had on at the time. I feel so sorry for the families as now they don't know uh, what happened. And I know about this because I lost a family member 
that caught COVID and he had other health issues and got COVID in hospital and died. He had a proper funeral, as it seems now, that once a person is dead, they can't pass it to you as not breathing, coughing, sneezing. And it does make me think, and yeah, you're bringing me back to that time as well when there was... There were body bags and all sorts of stuff because we didn't understand, I suppose, Joe. Uh, thank you for that. 83 311 Now, we have that prize for you. It's a €100 Euro voucher for Aramont Furniture in Nina. They're celebrating their brand uh, new range of garden furniture and we're giving away that voucher based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. You might be joining in our conversations or indeed bringing up something brand new but if you put Aramont at the end of your contribution we will pop you in to the draw. Now my next guest is an incredible young lady. Charlotte is 17 years old. She's from Carrickinshire and she set up the Hope Project two years ago when she was just 15. And the hope part of the group is an abbreviation of Hold On Pain Ends. And I'm glad to say that Charlotte is with me in studio this morning. Good morning to you, Charlotte. Good morning. And it's lovely to see you today. And thanks for coming into studio uh, with me. Will you tell me about your own mental health issues, first of all? Because it all began uh, at a very early age, didn't it? It it did. I did struggle with anxiety when I was like very small due to a teacher passing in primary school. But it kind of manifested into something much worse when I got into secondary school I felt very alone in how I in everything I did and I suffered with suicidal thoughts and depression and very serious anxiety that kept me out of school for months and then in TY I actually dropped out of school because of how bad it got um and that was kind of the reason I decided to start the whole project because I was in and out of hospital nonstop. I was constantly having guards or the paramedics at my door because I was just struggling so much. So I wanted someone, I wanted people to have somewhere to go where they wouldn't be alone and they would have somewhere to, like, someone to talk to. And that's where the idea of the whole project came from. Tell me about some of that struggle that you went through. I mean, as a young girl um, doing that, you said your family have been so supportive to you. Without that, it would have been incredibly difficult altogether, I guess. Oh, yeah, definitely. My parents and my brothers really struggled with me because there's a whole family problem. Even though I was the main person struggling, they felt lost in a way. And the services that were supposed to help didn't, or I was on waiting lists or... There was just no one there outside of my family to support me. So it was very difficult and I don't know how I would have handled it without them. Tell me about some of the services and your experience of them. I mean, what what about that? Because you were in great distress. You were very unwell and so you needed help. Tell me about some of those services. I was in CAMS when I was 15 from January uh, 2020 I think to February or not February to March the end of March it was only there for three months and in that time it was the most judgmental service I could ever have attended um, I was spoken down to a lot of the time I wasn't listened to they never believed anything I said and um, it was just very hard to be at that age and then to be not listened to when I was obviously struggling so much And I just wanted help. I begged for help. But I was just judged or told that my issues weren't serious and that basically unless I was had a very serious attempt in my life that probably ended me up in ICU, there was no chance I was going to get help. But did you tell them that you had suicidal thoughts? I did. They didn't believe me. 
this um, basically said unless I was going to seriously act on them. They didn't believe me. So, and then in March, at the end of March 2020, I was discharged um, by CAMS because I ended up in hospital after a serious attempt and they said there's nothing we can do. So I was in hospital, in Clamell Hospital for a week and CAMS overrun that sometimes. So um, I was in a paediatric ward for a week. I wasn't allowed any technology. I had to be in the room 24 hours a day. I was watched 24-7. So you were on suicide watch, basically. Basically, yeah, but it was very hard because I had nothing. I was Basically, it was like a prison. I was being kind of held there and, like, because I was struggling. So I was being talked down to and everything. And it's like I did something wrong. I felt like I did something wrong, but really I was just struggling and I went there for help. Uh, is it fair to say that it made your situation worse? Oh, definitely. Being discharged after being told there's nothing we can do made it so much worse. Did you begin to question yourself then? Yeah. I mean, did, did it make you question what was going on in your own head? Definitely. It made me kind of question everything because if the service that was meant to be there for me and for the adolescents, because there was a few of us in that room and they weren't there for any of us. And before going to CAMS, I mean, did you see it as the light at the end of the tunnel in that they, they, these people are going to help me now? I did because everyone said they would. Yeah. I was told by my school that they were going to be the best people to help me because they were the only service for my mental health needs because the other services weren't equipped enough to help me and because of my age they're the best service for me so I had all this expectation and when I walked in there I just it was the worst thing. And Charlotte all of this unfortunate publicity about CAMS now particularly I suppose in Kerry but there's all sorts of reviews going on around the country as well um, does it surprise you then after your experience? Not at all. Not at all. I I know my experience and my experience was terrible and then I heard other people's as well so I thought maybe it would just be a one-off before even any of the reviews came out. But after hearing hundreds of people around Ireland about their experiences and reading it um, on Facebook and then getting messages, it's a national thing. It doesn't shock me at all because that's the way that was. It's not run properly. It's understaffed and they don't have the right people in it. You had multiple referrals. I mean, you were referred from GPs, you were referred from from teachers, I believe, as well. And obviously your family were very anxious for you to get help too. What else was there for you besides CAMS? Nothing really because of how severe I was. There is either I stay in Tipperary University Hospital until I got better and probably on a paediatric ward or I just suck it up and go to CAMS because there's waiting lists for so many other services and then the other services, if I actually got into them, they would refer me back to camps because they are not equipped to deal with it. So it was a very, it was a vicious circle of I went to one service and they referred me back or I would end up in hospital. I would speak to camps and they would tell me there's nothing wrong with me because they just wanted to get through their day, I suppose. They just weren't listening. And I remember one time I actually begged the psychiatrist to help and I told her that I was struggling and the way that her team treated me was ridiculous and I told her everything and she still just didn't want to help Now I, I suppose I have to put in at this point maybe she did want to help but maybe she didn't have the facilities to do so within the organisation either I mean is that a possibility? 
I don't know because I was describing every everything I know now they should have helped me. I was describing everything that they should have been able to help with. Right. Like with the depression they could have helped. Like either with medication or proper therapy. Were you offered medication? Not by CAMS. My doctor actually had to put me on it because he knew it was serious. So CAMS refused to do anything about it. Right. So do you feel that you're speaking for young people now in particular um, where services are concerned? Yes, I can't comment on the adult mental health system because of my age and I obviously don't know much about it. But for people under 18, we are honestly the forgotten generation. Um, There's hundreds to thousands of kids struggling on waiting lists and there's suicides every day because they're not getting the help they need. And I've been trying to get people to listen and I've been working with TD Martin Brown to try and get something in place but every time that we come up with an idea it's knocked down because of policies or people just don't want to do it because maybe it's a bit too hard at the time but in the long run it will actually help the rest of the services. And you have no doubt that young people are dying because of this? Yes. Honestly, no doubt whatsoever. Like It's honestly a crisis in Ireland because they're not getting the support and if they do get that support they're either judged or put down or put on medications for months with no monitoring monitoring so it's it's not going as how it should there should be a system in place and the system that's in place at the moment isn't working and it's not going to work unless it changes all these reviews and audits are just people saying oh yeah we're gonna change it but really nobody's actually making that change so that's what i'm trying to get across and i'm trying to tell people what it is actually like so they know, even if it's in the most brutal way whatsoever. I want people to know what it's actually like instead of telling them, oh, these kids are statistics. Each number that has come up on that audit is a child with a family and that family is struggling and they're just put to the side. And because there's not services there and there's little help, I mean, just explain to me the trauma on a family. Uh, Like, Were you aware and did it play a part, I suppose, as well in in your own uh, issues that that you knew that you were sort of causing trauma to, to those around you and difficulties to those around you too because they were struggling to find help for you? At the time, I didn't know as much as I do now because I was very much struggling. I was in my own head most of the time, so I didn't really take notice. I didn't, I didn't. It was very hard to kind of take in anything else when I was seriously just struggling with my mental health. There was, I felt as though there was no way out for me. So anything that was told to me that it wasn't going to get any worse than it was. So they could tell me that they were struggling, but really I was struggling so much myself that I didn't actually recognize it. Right. And I didn't register it. But now it was, thinking about it, it was horrible for all of us. Right. But you were trying to survive yourself. Yeah, it was honestly a thing of survival for all of us. Um, I always had to have someone home with me because I was unsafe or the I was the guards in Carrigan were brilliant. So if I ever needed them, they were there. So, But there was always someone having to be with me, which wasn't the right way to be. Right. Why would you have needed the guardie? They... I, they were called on me one of the times and um, the first time and they were lovely and after that they said that if there's anything right. because they knew how bad the services were if there's anything I need they would, I would call them but I wouldn't actually call them they would get called on me sometimes so they would come to the house and they would speak to me they would do a better job than CAMS ever did and along with the ambulance service the nicest people you would ever meet right. are in the emergency services and 
they treated me like a person who was just struggling, not actually like a disorder, which a lot of people looked at me at, as. So they saw you as a condition as opposed to a person is what you're saying. Yeah, Cam did and other people did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and in terms of the Gardaí, calling the Gardaí, you, you would have just got the Gardaí because there wasn't somebody more qualified available, is that, is yep. that it? They are supposed That's to have incredible. a liaison psychiatrist, but there is none there and there's none within Ireland, I don't believe. And um, it's they're the only service there at the moment for people. So their calls now are mostly mental health and welfare checks. So they're not able to do their job because there's the crisis lines are referring people to the ambulance service or the guardie. And then every single time someone mentions the word suicide, the guards or ambulance service are called. So they're getting called away from serious life-threatening emergencies when there could be a service in place for people who are struggling. Right. And was it because you were in a suicidal frame of mind, Charlotte, that you called the guardie or that somebody else called the guardie? Yeah. Was that it? Okay. And they were brilliant. I've, and especially the paramedics. That's the reason I want to be a paramedic because one actually gave me a hug and she helped me so much after that. She just, gave you a hug? She gave me a hug. And what did that mean to you at the time? I don't know. It was just, I was sitting in the back of the ambulance and she was just talking to me and I just started to cry. And she didn't say anything. She just gave me a hug and it just made me feel like someone actually cared. I knew people cared, but it honestly felt so much better for someone to listen and feel like they really understood. So I wanted to do that for people. That was my... Reasoning. How was it important? How important was it for you to know that there were other young people out there struggling in the same way and getting little or no help as well? It was horrible for me to find it out at the start of the whole project. I kind of struggled to kind of figure it out, and it did stress me out a lot because I felt like I had the responsibility then to fight for them because nobody else was and nobody else around my age was. So I wanted to help them all, but you can't help everyone, especially if there's thousands on the website and it's worldwide as well. So it's very hard to kind of detach myself from their struggles to... Yes, because if you're trying to deal with your own mental health and you're hearing from people all over the world, as it is with Hope, uh, that they might be suicidal or they're in great distress or what, whatever, Charlotte, that must be incredible responsibility you're taking on yourself. It can be, but it's... Re- but there's nobody else to do it. No, and it? it's rewarding as well. Is it? It is. It can be very rewarding because you, you get the sad messages and then you get the ones saying, you helped me so much. And then I actually feel like someone cares which really just makes me feel like someone, like I'm doing this for a reason. And I get a lot of messages saying um, that they never believed like they could get through it until they heard about the Hope Project and then they started to fight for themselves. And I bet you wish you had Hope available to you. Definitely. I Mm. wish it was there for me because I would have definitely got something out of it. Like there's only I can't really support people as I'm not trained. I'm just there to kind of direct them to a different service, which I hate doing, because. Yes, but you're there to listen as well. Yeah, to, which I do a lot, and I love doing it. And sometimes it can get too much, but the people who are on there are just people who are struggling. The acronym um, Hope uh, is Hold On. The pain ends. It's simple, but it's very, very profound, isn't it? It's very, very. Yeah. Yeah. It stuck with me when I was struggling I was really into quotes and all that when I was younger but that one always stuck with me so that's where the name The Hope Project came from and it was just a project then it was just something I wanted to do but now it's much more than that and it's 
right. something that's actually helping people. So explain it to me then. It's online, obviously. It's it's a, like a place where people can share, I suppose, basically. There is. It? So it's a website online, thehopeproject.e, and it has information and resources on mental health in Ireland and worldwide. And I'm still trying to get to different countries. I just There's a lot of research that has to go into it. And there's a place on there. It's my favourite place of the website, and it's called Your Stories, where people can actually add what they've gone through anonymously. And I read through it, obviously, just to make sure it's all okay and put it up so other people can read it to know they aren't alone. And some of the stories there, they're shocking. But at the end of them, some of them actually got through it, which is lovely to see. And they keep saying to people on these stories that it does actually get better. And I remember someone messaging me after seeing the whole project and um, she said she read the stories and someone's story was very similar to hers. And it actually made her feel like she could get through it. So that was the whole purpose of it. And I'm just thinking, did anybody in CAMS or did any other service tell you, hold on, the pain ends? Did anybody tell you that? The Gardaí did and the ambulance service. As I said, they're better than any. But no official service providers for mental health? No. I did go to Jigsaw. And honestly, they are great service, but that's for mild to moderate severe right. mental illnesses. And they wanted to help me, but they just couldn't. They weren't equipped, so they had to refer me back. But I think that service for mild to moderate severe case or mild to moderate cases is quite good. But for me, it just it didn't help. It wouldn't wasn't going to help me. So I was kind of my parents told me that the pain would end, and people who went through it told me it would end. But at the time, I didn't believe it because they were just telling me it would end. They weren't actually giving a reason as to how I would go about making it stop. Right, so or, it was just words to it you. It was just words it? Yeah. to me, yeah. And then um, I started to be open about it online because I was thinking that if someone was as open as I was, I might have thought, okay, it will get better. So that's where Hold On Pain Ends really means something in the Hope Project. When you opened up, Charlotte, um, did you get any negative response? Oh, definitely. I got loads, especially from peers in school. Um, It was hard at the time because I was still very much struggling. And it was mostly, it started on Instagram and it went to a website. And um, I had people kind of picking on me because of something I'm doing online, trying to help people. And at the time, I I did want to quit doing it. And it was getting a bit of following and people just didn't like that. And the people who trolled you, I think, is the expression, isn't it? Or or who were negative towards you. Did you know them? I did. And then there was other people online. Obviously, you're going to get people online. I knew that. Um, So, but it didn't really bother me online. But in school, it did kind of get a bit to me because they were in front of me saying it. So... I'm happy I got through that and I didn't actually listen to them because I wouldn't be here without the whole project. And the kindest take on that is it that they just don't understand. Charlotte? I don't is think they it? do. Yeah. I didn't think it was a mean, like, I don't think they meant it in the way they were saying it. Is it just they saw you as different? Yeah, it? I was always different in yeah. everything I did. I was musical growing up, I was singing everywhere. So, and people didn't like that. So, obviously, sometimes people don't like what you do. And um, so I was always different. So pe- obviously in school, everyone wants to be the same. Yeah. I didn't like yeah. it. So the difference in me and them, they, I don't think they liked either. Yeah. 
I'm always conscious of who's listening to us, Charlotte, and there may be parents listening to us today that might have a young person, maybe with similar thoughts to what you had. By the way, before I do that, how are you now? Oh, I'm great. I'm working, I'm learning how to drive, I've applied to the ambulance service, so I've, I'm great, I'm so happy right, I got there. And you want to be a paramedic yourself. I do, I would, oh, I would love right. to do it. But when you say you're great, are you still on medication? I am, yeah. and I go to counselling every two weeks because obviously I'm not going to fully turn around in a space of a few months. I'm going to still struggle a bit. So, but I'm happy enough now. Are you? Yeah, and I'm happy I got through it because now I get to help other people. Right. Um, as I was about to say, families out there now, particularly parents listening to us, they might have a young girl, a young boy uh, going through what you were going through and they might feel helpless. Would you give some advice, Charlotte? I, The advice I can give that um, it does actually get better. And I know a lot of people will say that and they will say the same thing over and over again. And I never believed it. But now sitting in a radio station talking about how, I'm fe- how I used to feel and how far I've gotten, it really shows me that it does get better and that there is support out there. It just might take a while to find it. And if the services do work for you, stick with them. Or if something works for you, stick with it. And it's okay to take a break from life and from school for a while, to stay at home and just process everything you're feeling. But you will get through it. No matter what you're struggling with, you will get through it. You spoke about uh, Deputy Martin Brown being of help to you again. Now that you have the platform, what do you see to what do you say to other politicians out there? Um, um, you, you're smiling at me. When you that. <laughs> I have given out to a few people. Okay, okay. Um, good, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I love doing that. I love kind of making my point in a quite yeah. uh, not an aggressive manner, but I like to make my point. So I have been up to Leinster House, and I have made my point up there to Mark Ward, who was brilliant. He's mental health spokesperson for Sinn Féin. And I have spoken to the Taoiseach, uh, our old Taoiseach, Micheál Martin, and he did make a few mistakes in the doll, and I did correct him on it. Okay, good. So he um, said that he will listen properly from, more, from now on. But um, I do say to them that the statistics are people, and they tend to forget that. They just see a number. They're not seeing all the families that are behind it. And then I tell them how I went through, what I went through, and how hard it was for me and my family, and that thousands are struggling the same way or even worse around Ireland. So they can't forget about them. They need to do something. And that's what I keep trying to say to the people in charge or the government. They need to do something now. They can't keep saying there's plans in progress. There's been plans for years, but they've never actually move forward with them. And finally, the review and investigation into CAMS. Does CAMS need to be dismantled and something else rebuilt uh, to to deal with the issues that you've discussed? With I believe so. Mm. Um, they're not fit for purpose. Mm. All around the country, not fit for purpose whatsoever. And when I started talking to Martin Brown, I wanted to build up something that would be in EDs, that would be for adolescents who were struggling and they had somewhere to go when they're like they're struggling and they have a direct pathway into services so they go to ED then they get counseling they get anything they need without being judged and being in a horrible environment that will make them feel worse so i don't think i'll be getting into tipperary university hospital because they're doing a rebuild so maybe in a few years but i would like to get into a primary care center to try and build something that I can show 
on the people like the government or whoever is watching or looking down saying that it's not going to work, that it does work and it will help the other services. It'll take pressure off. And just finally, if people want to get involved with Hope, uh, how can they do that online, Charlotte? They can go to our website, that is thehopeproject.ie and the TikTok and the Instagram is the exact same, thehopeproject.ie. All right. I don't want to patronise you, but you're fantastic. (laughs) Thank you. I really think you are. And uh, you're the person to head this up, Charlotte. And we wish you uh, the best. And I'm delighted to see that you're well and you're smiley and all of that, (laughs) which which is great. Charlotte, thanks very much. Thank Thank you. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip Today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage Pecan, you can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Now, Liz was on to say what uh, a truly amazing young lady uh, Charlotte is. The Hope Service is uh, remarkable and best of luck for the uh, future. Uh, couldn't agree more with her, Fran. Uh, open discrimination of people with ASD, for instance. Uh, CAMS is in a shocking state and in breach of human rights as well. Uh, Willie was on to say that girl, that Charlotte, is absolutely brilliant. She's a great talker and she would give you some hope for the future as well. And a listener on to say very brave of Charlotte to speak up like that today. And uh, that young lady who's speaking with you now is so inspiring and fantastic. Her story will be a huge help to other young people and will you please thank her for me and uh, for people who are going through similar situations as one of our listeners. All right, then it's time for our GP, Dr. Pat Harold. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Pat. And good to talk to you today. Um, I'm sure you were busy this morning, but we had a great chat with uh, young Charlotte there about her experience of mental health services and the like, Pat, um, and the difficulty with mental health services. None of that is a surprise to you, I guess. Um, what was it Douglas Hurd said it was like playing handball against the haystack you know trying to get anything done get people seen get um, I don't know where do you want me to start from (laughs) get me but but there's serious difficulties out there in getting help uh, Pat for people I suppose oh there is there's a terrible problem with um, getting people um, just just the the crisis passes you know there's no sort of um, emergency places without going off in, in North Tipperary anyway to Ennis which I always think is completely mad you know yes well it's um, the same as South Tipperary Kilkenny is the only option yeah yeah go to, I mean there's nothing local you know it's, yeah. it's such a shame that you couldn't have a place where you know you could go with, with a few psychiatric nurses and just keep people safe for a couple of days till they start to work out whatever was ailing them I, I don't know what you're talking about this morning but that is one of the first things that springs to mind yeah. And the other thing is um, waiting lists are long and um, it's, it's very hard to get seen. You know, it's, it's just basically the whole thing is underfunded. The mental health place, the mental health um, are usually the sort of the poor relation of the, the health service. You yeah. Know? yeah, it's incredible. And yeah. I, I'm sorry for, for throwing that at you now because I know you were busy this morning and you couldn't listen, but it's just the response I see on, 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 on the the text and WhatsApp here is incredible. You're going to talk to us uh, today about something else that's very serious in, indeed, and that's uh, ovarian cancer, Pat. 
Yeah, it's it's. I just I saw that um, March is ovarian cancer um, awareness month in the UK. There's, there's usually some sort of a thing to go on. Um, ovarian cancer now is, 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 as you say, something fairly serious. But if it's caught early, it's um, very treatable. Mm. And I, it, you know, stage one, ninety-five percent of people um, do very well. So um, you see, friend, the problem is the symptoms are kind of vague. Mm. And who should be concerned about um, ovarian cancer? Well, if anybody has a family history of ovarian cancer or a family history of breast cancer, you know, that, that does it. But it's usually, no, not always, but usually people over 50. And and the symptoms are very kind of vague and because it's sort of, one of them is you put on a bit of weight around the middle. Mm. Now, most people over 50 do put on a bit of weight around, around the middle anyway. And the people who tend to catch it earliest are the people who are nice and slim an exercise and they notice that they're um, they're, they're growing a bit but you can get bloat, bloating especially if you're bloating more than 12 times in a month and um, you know if you develop that no, that might be the bowels it might be ovarian you know it's, it's very hard to know but if you get any in nature life if you get any kind of a change in your bowel habit or anything going on with tummy like that you never had it before you should definitely get that checked out um, and then you can get a little bit of pain the ovaries are right down where the appendix would be in both sides mm. so sometimes especially in younger people you don't know if it's, if it's an ovarian going on or if it's something or maybe the appendix and um, but in the older age group sort of dragon pain down around there now it could also be there's, there's quite a few things it could be you know and how do we diagnose it? You generally would do an ultrasound and um, you do a, um, you could do an ultrasound or there's a, there's a blood test for it as well. Yes. So it's one of these things that, um, if it's caught early, is great. So, but, you know, it's, it's, I suppose they're all trying to different things and hope they'll go away. Of course, yeah. So, and what, um, what age bracket of people are we talking about, Pat? We're talking 50 up. Post 50 Right. But, um, and so know, does menopause um, play a part in this then, do you think, Pat, or is that something that's not known? Or? Well, it seems to be some kind of a genetic thing. There's a thing called the Oxford Classic um, Genetic Policy, and they sort of divide it into types. You know, so you can get a younger, more aggressive type, but they'd be pretty rare now. But most people, I think, it's just like a lot of cancers develop when you get older. And this is a particular one it would be a sort of a postmenopausal thing. HRT maybe might very, very, very slightly increase risk, which is where if you had something like um, a, a genetic sort of a, a thing like BRCA or something, you would be advised to go on HRT or something like that. But, you know, anybody in that category, like if you had a sister or something, a in cancer or breast cancer, would generally know the genetics fairly well and know what they can do. But HRTs wouldn't be a huge culprit, but it's mm. not something to consider. Um, uh, but it's um, it's just something to put out there, just kind of be aware. And if, if you're peeing a little bit more, a bit of bloating, change in bowel habit, something like that, get it right. checked out. But as you say, those yeah. symptoms you describe, Pat, they're rather vague and they could indicate lots of other things and, and a lot of less serious things as well, I suppose. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah. Um, it, it, it's just, it, I suppose, and change is over 50. And you know what? You know, I'm just looking at myself thinking, we in a bit more, you know, bit of ways around the middle service. Doesn't everybody sort of get that over fifty anyway? Yes. But um, it it's something that your doctor would be sort of have at the back of their mind. 
All right. Uh, yeah. one, one of the symptoms being extreme tiredness, and that brings us on to something else, because we were discussing this in the office this morning, uh, Pat. It seems to me, because I'm chatting to a lot of people, uh, as I'm sure you know, um, chronic tiredness, uh, we seem to be talking more about it lately, Pat. Are you coming across a lot of that? Absolutely. You call it, in, in, in our business, we know it as T-A-T-T, tired all that time. And um, it, it, you can go the whole gamut. You can start, I suppose one way to start there could be anxiety. Um, usually somebody came in with that. Um, they, they usually come and say, I want my blood done, which is not a great way of looking at it. Mm. Because, um, you know, for any kind of blood test, you want to kind of target it. You know, you might be sort of surprised to hear from most times when blood tests come back to doctors. We're not surprised because we have a fair notion what's going on. Right. Anyway, but that just confirms know, it could be something you, like anemia yeah. or thyroid or something like that. But first of all, you go into lifestyle, and uh, most people don't get enough sleep. Most people have a complete disconnect from nature. Mm. You know, especially kids. I mean, if you have kids who are sitting in front of screens all day, they're going to be wrecked and jaded in the head, but not physically. You know, even a, a short run to a playground makes a huge difference to them. Um, most of us even get not enough exercise or too little exercise. People in chronic pain tend not to exercise at all, so they don't sleep properly. Um, and anxiety and stress. Then we've got the sort of the post-COVID people. Now, it's or any viral illness, there's a huge spike there after Christmas of all kinds of viruses running around, you remember that? Everybody is thing. And, you know, it's kind of normal to be wrecked for two to four weeks after that. Mm. You know, it certainly would be, um, and then a lot of people are just feel sort of overwhelmed when they try to get back. And there's a few tips, actually, for, for, for if you are chronically tired. One is it's very hard to do two things at once. You know, yeah. so it, it's kind of recommended that you switch off the radio. Not you, of course, Brown. Never, Pat. You know, to just try and, try and do two many things, you know, organise, use diaries, um, taste yourself. Um, and, and if you're listening to music, sort of, they recommend um, even listen to music without words. You know, okay. classical music or something, so it doesn't be jarring the brain all the time. Um, with COVID and things, they generally clear after twelve weeks. You know, but there's a huge, there's about, there's a lot of people actually out there with long COVID symptoms, and I don't think there's any great consensus what to do with them. Yeah, I, you know, I notice as, as well. There's a lot of uh, commercial interest in this, and they're advising us to take all sorts of pills and all sorts of stuff that will make us feel less tired and stuff. But you're talking about just the basics there, really, Pat. The basics. Um, but vitamin D is very important. It's very important in COVID. And this time of the year, you know, if you haven't been, even if you have been away in the holidays or something, getting it through the skin isn't, um, you know, I think everybody should be in a vitamin D supplement and do it. And the darker your skin, the more you need it. Right. And you can get that in, in supplement form, I guess, can you? In supplement form. But then, Fran, if we did decide, you know, that there's nothing jumping out, and we've also taken anxiety and depression into that because that's a huge target. They're called like the biological symptoms of depression and tiredness, fatigue, lack of interest would be part of it. And then you'd be going in, you'd be testing for things. I suppose the big thing um, would be thyroid. You know, if you're hyper, hypothyroid, if you're low in thyroid, um, or if you're anemic, or if you're di- if you're if you've undiagnosed diabetes, we know an awful lot of people are walking around with um, with diabetes, especially mm-hmm. the heavier people. Yeah. Um, in fact, for medical card patients, we've now got a thing called opportunistic case finding, where we, um, if you know, if you're somebody who's a bit overweight or there's a smoker or from an ethnic minority or something, you can put them in for a few tests and a few risk scales. We do them up on the computer to see um, 
suffering or care or something like that. That's something that's brought in. Right, so that's, so, that's something new, Pat, is it? Oh, it, it is indeed, yeah. It's yeah, only okay. the last couple of weeks. Opportunistic case finding is a medical part. But, you know, it's the sort of people that, you know, aren't in danger of developing something to get it before it develops. And, you know, for something like um, heart disease or diabetes or kidney disease, it's great if you can kind of head them off the path. With the type of ovarian cancer, if you can, if you can get these things before they become a problem, you know, it's, it's, yes. it's so rewarding, really. But, of course, the thing there is, and this is with the greatest of respect to yourself, Pat, but people are finding it more and more difficult to get appointments, to get seen, to get tests done and all of that. And I presume that's playing into this in some way. Well, one of the things about the labs in um, Ireland are completely overwhelmed at the moment. Um, I know that in um, the Midlands, they've started yeah. sending all their bloods to Dublin. And, and in in Galway, they're not doing blood tests for GPs at all. You know, I, I think we're kind of hitting some sort of a crest of a wave of, of health. I suppose we've two or three years of, of you know, I have people coming to me all the time and, and they, they really should have been checked over a couple of years before. Yeah. And for nobody's fault, they weren't. You know, so I mean, you know, we're, we're doing a big catchy up kind of thing. The waiting lists are very long. Um, it'll, it'll take a while to sort it out, you know, but um, that's right. all we can say about but, that. But time being so important in a lot of the cases that you've described to us this morning, Pat, you know. It, it... Yeah, I suppose the moral of the story is don't sit in things, you know. Yeah. And um, a GP will always take a phone call. Right. And, um, and, um, and, you know, there's a lot of um, virtual clinics out there too, if you have private insurance. You know, yeah. that you can talk to people online and, you know, but the, but the main thing is um, don't sort of sit in things and hope they go away. Right. No, they might go away, but they might be actually not worse by the time they're sorted out. All right, Pat. So, um, it's yeah. always great to talk to you, Pat, and thanks very much for your time this morning. Thank you, Gurmila Mahagut. Uh, that's uh, Dr. Pat Harold speaking to us from Nina uh, this morning, 1800-938-007. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. Your Peugeot car or van might benefit from a free software upgrade. For more information and to find out if this applies to your vehicle, call the lads in Slattery's Garage, puck on on 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Thanks very much, Pat. Uh, welcome back to the final hour of uh, Tip today. Just a quick mention, uh, because uh, Father Jim Purcell, PP of Thurles, was on to me, just to highlight the fact that they're having a wonderful concert. It's the Alleluia uh, concert featuring Father Ray Kelly. Um, it's happening at the Church of St. Joseph and Bridget, born in Nave in uh, Thurles, and it's on March 24th, and proceeds, of course, for the or towards the cathedral re-roofing a project there as well. Um, the special guests on the night, Thurles Parish Youth Choir as well. Tickets are €25. Euro. I know they're going pretty well, and I know lots of you will want to get along to that, so just to highlight it for you, it's the 24th of March on a Friday, and sounds like a great night out indeed. Alright then, it is time uh, to uh, speak to the Gardaí. Glad to be joined now by Declan O'Carroll, who is a sergeant in charge of Nina Garda Station. Good morning to you, Declan. Good morning, Fran. Good to chat to you today. Can we begin in Clonmel with uh, a report of a break-in at a business uh, premises in the town, Declan? Yes, Fran, this happened on the 21st of February. Um, Clonmel Gardaí received a report of a break-in at a business premises in the town. Gardaí went to the scene, Fran, and discovered the front window of the premises had been smashed and uh, entry gained into the building. Gardaí could see that cash tills were taken from the store and the store manager 
or contact and confirmed cash tills uh, were missing. CCTV was viewed by Gardaí and a suspect uh, later identified and uh, from local inquiries, uh, Gardaí arrested a man in his 30s who was brought to Clamell Garda Station, detained and questioned and then charged uh, uh, before the courts with a burglary offence. Um, he was The suspect was remanded in custody on the, in, in relation to this matter, Fran. Very good indeed. Shoplifting. Now, theft from shops, Declan. Common, yeah. common crime, I suppose. Yes, and I suppose it's just a highlight to shop owners across the county that this type of te- te- these types of thefts are going on um, uh, and are common uh, common uh, crime uh, in all towns uh, and, and villages. Mm. Uh, in the last two weeks alone in Clonmel, 11 thefts from shops were reported, 9 in Clonmel and 2 in Carrick and Shore. Five of these thefts uh, have led to arrest Fran uh, and uh, charges before the courts and the remaining ones uh, are still under investigation. Very good. So, Gertie, take this very seriously, obviously, Declan. Yes, definitely, and we'd uh, encourage the store owners to report to any yeah. uh, any thefts to, to Gardaí. Yeah, tell me about the man who was arrested after being ejected from a bus. One would tell me that story. I suppose we have two similar incidents across the county, and we'll come to the, the second one later. Mm. This one happened in Clonmel when a man was ejected from a bus on the 16th of February. Clonmel Gardaí intercepted this man walking on the road, and he was searched under the Misuse of Drugs Act and controlled drugs, which are subject to analysis of worth approximately €600 Euros were, were discovered, and he was detained for... Uh, on suspicion of possession of drugs for sale or supply and a file has been prepared uh, in relation to this incident. All right, the drugs unit in Clonmel rather busy. Again, yes, on the night of the 22nd, the drugs unit Clonmel saw a woman in her 20s getting off a, a, a bus in the Grange Moakler area. When she was searched under the Misuse of Drugs Act, uh, she was found in possession of a large number of tablets believed to be a controlled drug, again subject to analysis. This lady was arrested and detained in question and again a file has been prepared. Mm-hmm. Um, in yeah. relation to you had matter. Some, some other smaller detections around as well. Yes, I suppose the drugs units are, are active in the Clonmel area and uh, eight other smaller detections were made around the district for simple, what's known as simple possession of various drugs. Right. Every time we talk, Decton, we refer to uh, theft from cars. This week is no different. Yes, and again, this is a, a county-wide problem. Mm. Uh, Guardian Clamella are investigating the theft of items from a car parked overnight on the t- from the 22nd into the 23rd of February in an estate in the Thomas Street area of the town. Items were stolen from uh, the unlocked car, which include a backpack containing Nike runners, uh, Apple AirPods, um, CCTV is being harvested and canvassed, and house-to-house inquiries were conducted in the area. Uh, the Guardian Clamella would like to speak to anyone who may have any information um, in yeah, relation to it. Two, two things uh, strike me about that. Unlocked for, for starters and stuff being on view in a car um, it's important that people take take this into account isn't it? Yes I suppose myself and my colleagues are on every two weeks and, yeah. and it's a similar trend uh, in relation to these types of crimes that um, often the car is unlocked and, and uh, similarly um, the items are on view and, and the, the culprit CDs and, and take their opportunity. Yes. Now in an ideal world you should be able to leave your car unlocked and you should be able to leave your stuff in a car but that's not the way it is Declan, it's important to point that out. Unfortunately so, not. Some other crimes of this nature as well. Uh, yeah again another crime of this nature happened on the 25th into the 26th of February when a man reports parking his car outside his uh, house overnight at the Ann Street area of Clanmel. On return to this car he discovered his wallet was taken from the side door. Uh, again investigations are ongoing and an effort to discover the suspect in relation to this incident. Mm, a fraud as well, more fraud. 
Yes, and I suppose I like—I uh, find it important to highlight fraud across the county yeah. to make people aware of the sophistication that these frauds are, uh, of these types of frauds. Mm-hmm. Um, the Guardian Clamell are investigating fraud that was reported to them. On the 18th of February, Fran, a, a woman received a fraudulent text claiming to be from, from uh, OnPost. Uh, she then clicked on the link and a small amount of money, um, believing it to, to be a customs charge, and uh, subsequently a large over €5,000 was, was siphoned from wow. this lady's account, which is a massive amount of money. €5,000? My God, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, you mentioned the word sophistication. It's getting more sophisticated, isn't it? And, you know, people can be taken in by these things. Yes, unfortunately, the, the, they are, uh, the fraudsters are using various methods, uh, yeah. including this type of one where, where they send a link purporting to be from uh, a well-known organisation. And, uh, unfortunately, people are being taken in by it. Right, so don't click on anything, I suppose, is, is the message there. Definitely, yes. To uh, Thurlis, then, and um, a disturbance uh, on a train. Again, yes, similar to the incident that happened in Clonmel, uh, drugs, uh, drugs um, find. This was one where Gardy received a report of a male, co- a man causing a disturbance on a train, and I suppose hassling members of the public. Fran, um, mm. it, occurred, it occurred on the 10th of February. A male man was arrested and conveyed to Nina Torres Garda station. Um, following this, uh, and a follow-up search was carried out, and a large quantity of drugs was recovered uh, over. 16,000 of uh, euros worth of suspected right. heroin. Uh, this is all, uh, subject to analysis, but a file has been prepared for the matter, uh, which will be sent to the DPP. Right now, the Gardaí were very helpful to an elderly woman that was in trouble. Again, will you tell us that story? Yes, a good news story there, mm. which occurred on the 13th to the 2nd in Torlis area, where an elderly woman contacted ambulance control, uh, stating she was finding it hard to breathe. The ambulance control requested Gardaí assistance, and a Gardaí immediately made their way round to the townland in question. On arrival, they met with the advanced paramedic, uh, who unfortunately were unable to locate the address, but thankfully local Gardaí knew the elderly lady and were aware of her uh, address. Uh, Gardaí gained access to the house and tended to the patient with the ambulance crew. Uh, she was given oxygen and, and made comfortable, and thankfully the patient uh, is making a full recovery. Uh, that's great news. The, the the local information is is so so useful, isn't it, in, in emergency situations. Um, will you tell us about the firearm uh, holders again, because again you have a request uh, for them. Yes, it's just Gardaí and Torlis are requesting all licensed and across the county, uh, all licensed firearms holders examine their licence and ensure they are fully up to date and in order. Uh, any unlicensed firearm will be seized uh, by a member of Garda Shikana and the licensee will be prosecuted, so it's just important for people to ensure that their firearm is fully licensed and up to date. Alright, to the Care District then, and St. Patrick's Day fast uh, approaching. Um, what have you to to say to us about that? Yes, friends, with St. Patrick's Day weekend fast approaching, Care and Cashel Gardaí would like to ask any community group who have events planned to celebrate the occasion, apart from the parades which they know about, to, mm. to contact the local station to let to let them know so uh, policing plans can be put in place and, and uh, Gardaí can see how best they can support uh, these local events. Now, despite appeals, there's still stuff going on with uh, the motorway bridges, Declan. Very dangerous, uh, Fran, and as you know, we have two motorways um, passing through the county, uh, mm. major major motorways, and despite our appeal last uh, on the last occasion about the serious danger of people throwing items from motorway bridges, again over the weekend gone, there were incidents around the Care District. On Sunday evening, a person driving on the M8 motorway saw people on the bridge. Uh, these people then threw an item from the bridge, which struck the windscreen, causing damage. <laughs> 
these are serious incidents in Caregardia are appealing to people to be aware of any of the potential fatal consequences of these actions. It's a serious offence and this one is being fully investigated. My God, that's very worrying in, indeed. You also had reports of tractors on uh, the motorway. What What is the situation with that, Declan? Yes, sir. Recent reports of tractors on the motorway with the weather improving and farms getting busy again with machinery on the move. The roads policing unit would like to urge people to, to be aware that tractors can be driven on the motorway providing that they are capable of reaching a minimum speed of 50 kilometres per hour. Uh, furthermore, you're not allowed to use the outside lane of the motorway if you're towing a trailer or a horse box and it's important that people doing that are aware and please be mindful that the outside lane is, is only for overtaking and should not be driven in mm. continuously. And, and warnings about using the motorways and pulling up on the motorways. Yes, friend, and I'd urge anyone uh, to not stop on motorways unless it is a, an absolute emergency. If you can exit the motorway completely or pull into a parking bay, the risk of stopping to take a phone call or change drivers, uh, etc., are just, uh, it's simply too much to, uh, and it's it's uh, highly dangerous, so I'd urge your, your listeners not to do that. Yeah, God knows we've heard of awful fatalities uh, because people choose to pull up on motorways as well. Um, okay, let us move to Tipperary Town. They're looking for some witnesses to a burglary. Yes, Fran, uh, this is a Tipperary Town Guardia are appealing for witnesses to a burglary which occurred in the new town area of Donahill on the 14th into the 15th of February, sometime between 7.30pm and 6am in the morning. A generator uh, was taken from the property. Tip Town Guardia appealing for anyone with any information to contact them in relation to this incident. Right, and there was an attempted burglary as well in another area. Yes, this, this is an attempted burglary which occurred in a business premise in the Limerick Road area of Tip town on the 8th of February, uh, sometime between 9am 9, 9 and 11pm, a boundary fence was caught and access came to the roof of the premises. Guardia again are harvesting CCTV and carrying out inquiries in relation to that incident. Right. Once again, you're looking for some help on that incident where the van uh, uh, was on fire near Ballycastine. Yes, Tiptown Guardia are appealing for witnesses to the criminal damage incident where a van was deliberately set on fire in the Ballycastine area of Tiberi Town on 13th of February at 6am. Extensive damage fan was caused to the to the van and Gardaí. Uh, uh, are also in, from the town are also investigating a second criminal damage incident which occurred at St Michael's uh, in Tip Town at 12.30am on the 26th of February. Uh, this was where a window was smashed in the car. A male was reported acting suspiciously in the area prior to the incident. Fran, um, he's described as being dressed in dark clothing. Anyone with any information is asked to contact uh, Tipperary Town Gardaí. Mm, okay. There was a third incident, Fran, if I just yes, highlighted please. it. Yeah. Uh, occurred in the Limerick Junction area of Tipperary sometime between 1am uh, and 9am on the 26th of February. Uh, again, unfortunately, a window was smashed in the car um, and Gardaí are again appealing for witnesses in relation to that. All right, to your own area then, Declan, and uh, a serious assault incident. Yes, Fran, this assault happened uh, on, on the 23rd of the 2nd in the Ormond Drive area in, in, of the town in the early hours of the morning. Uh, Gardaí are seeking anyone who may have heard or seen anything suspicious in the area at the time. One man has been arrested in relation to the matter and questioned by Gardaí, and again a file has been uh, submitted to DPP in relation to this incident. Right, you alluded uh, to this earlier on, more criminal damage incidents over the last fortnight? Yes, we've had four uh, reported to us uh, in the last two weeks. One incident occurred on Kenyon Street on the 15th of February where one man was arrested and charged in relation to that. In another on the 19th of February, a mobile phone was damaged during, during the course of a disagreement in an estate uh, in the town. Um, again, one man was arrested Fran, in relation to that, detained and charged. Uh, to court on the 23rd um, a woman returned home to her house in the state in the town to find her window smashed unfortunately that, this incident happened in the co-chair of the state and, and Gardaí are appealing for anyone with any information to contact uh, Nina Garda station right, More theft of home heating oil Yes, friend. We've had two incidents, instances really of the theft of uh, in, in the last two weeks of theft of home heating oil, and it has been highlighted on this uh, 
this segment uh, by my colleagues. Uh, in Derry Callaghan, Moneygall, a large amount of ho- home heating oil was stolen from a house between the 17th and the 20th. Uh, Gardaí are asking the public to be extra vigilant and aware of this type of crime. In the second incident, Fran, between the 19th and 26th of February at Corrug, Ganeen, Ross Grey, heating oil was stolen by individuals who bored a hole in the fuel tank and, and, and removed a couple of hundred euros worth of um, home heating oil. I just want to highlight that this type of crime is happening and just for persons to be aware of it. Now, you spoke to us earlier on about fraud in South Tip. A number of different types in your own area, Declan. Yes, Fran, and it is. We're highlighting this every every two weeks. Yeah. Um, different types of fraud uh, being reported to Gardaí and two reports to Nina that I'd like to highlight recently. Uh, they're becoming more sophisticated as time goes on. In one case, an injured party attempted to obtain a loan online to a website, a well-known uh, lending company, and ended up mm. being defrauded out of close to €500. Euros. And in a second fraud, the inter-party was contacted through a messaging service by a person she thought was a relative of hers. Um, in fact, it was a fraudster with the result that over 1,750 euros was stolen from the inter-party's account. Uh, people need to be very wary of emails or unsolicited contact online. And always, uh, and a friend, I would say, always be suspicious. Yeah, but she believed it was a relative of hers, so they took on somebody's identity in some way. Obviously. That's it, yes, friend, in this case. My God. So oh it my. just shows what what types of fraud are being done and just people need to be aware of uh, when they're dealing with uh, individuals online. Yeah, well, you're making the point yourself, and it's a good one. Always be suspicious, I suppose, is, is the, the best advice. Te- uh, theft of alloy wheels. Yes, this happened on the night of the 21st into the 22nd when four alloy wheels were stolen from a car parked in a compound in Dublin Road in Ross Grey. Again, Gardaí are harvesting CCTV in relation to the incident and just highlighting uh, this type of crime is, is occurring and if anyone sees anything suspicious to ring 999 uh, as soon as they can. All right, you're looking for the public's assistance and again with theft uh, from cars. Yes, again, theft from cars, as highlighted uh, earlier on, Gardaí are seeking the public's assistance in relation to a number of thefts that occurred in the Gort Naguna, Ross Grey area in the early hours of the 26th of February. Three cars were entered and items stolen from each, including a valuable piece of equipment used uh, used for horses that um, the Gardaí are very anxious to uh, recover. We'd like the public's assistance in any way um, in relation to that. All right, and, and finally, more theft from shops in, in Nina. Yes, as we highlighted in Clonmel, uh, again, six theft from shops were reported to Gardaí and Nina in the last uh, few days, uh, with three in Nina and three in Ross Grey at Gardaí. Again, I've harvested CCTV in relation to these incidents and uh, suspects have been identified in relation to a number of them and we are following them up. All right, Declan, thanks for your time this morning. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Good morning Thank you, to you. Bye-bye to you now. That is Detective Sergeant uh, Declan O'Carroll, who is Sergeant in Charge of Nina Garda Station. 1800 938 007. The text and WhatsApp is 083 311 Just to remind you again that we have gardening uh, towards the end of the programme. If you have a gardening query, will you log in with us, please? 083 311 Hidden Histories is on the way. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now we have a winner of our €100 voucher and that's uh, in association with Aramount Furniture in Nina. They're celebrating their brand new range of garden furniture and uh, they're inviting you into the store to check out uh, all of the furniture there. They're going to 
beds and living rooms and all sorts of other stuff as well. Anyway, our 100 euro voucher goes to Liz Culler of Ballycal. Well done to you, Liz, and enjoy spending that 100 euro voucher. Now, this month on Tipperary's Hidden History, Connor explores the strange phenomenon of flying saucers sightings in Ireland during 1950, including right here in the Premier County, with unexplained lights that appeared in the night sky. This was a time of great intrigue and mystery. And in this episode, we explore stories of these sightings over Tipperary, uncovering what people saw and felt at the time, and look at the impact these events had on Irish society. So strap in and get ready for a very exciting journey into the unknown. of 2020 as news emerged of a mysterious infection circulating from Wuhan province in China, the people of the world could scarcely imagine that we were soon to be united, albeit reluctantly for some, in a global battle against what was seen as an existential threat to our very existence as a civilization. If we did not stand up to this potentially merciless enemy, the consequences may be catastrophic on a scale not seen since 1918. This battle continued through to the end of 2021, and with humankind having multiple layers of protection in the form of vaccination, better treatments, better knowledge about personal behaviour, we began to live alongside this ever-evolving menace. Some began to relax ever so slightly, and even those who remained nervous found ways to try and claw back a bit of normal in their lives. We looked forward to a more hopeful 2022. And then, on the 24th of February, following weeks of military mobilisation, war returned to the European mainland. While the devastating war may have been contained to a single but significant geographical area, there have been consequences for many other countries, including our own. Until a truce is declared, the threat of an expansion of the war remains an absolute possibility another existential threat raised its head. Some of us began to wonder, what would 2023 look like? What else is there? We've had a pandemic, and they usually happen once a century, so we should be emerging from that danger zone. Is that box ticked for now? We've had a war, and we still have a war, but despite the horror for many innocent people, we are, perhaps selfishly, relieved that it hasn't reached our shores. And then they came. Those unknown entities that have transfixed the world and once again raised the spectre of yet another potential existential threat to humankind. The Chinese spy balloon entered US airspace on the 28th of January 2023, before entering Canada two days later and re-entering the US on the 31st of January. It was first sighted by civilians on the 1st of February and, well, you know the rest. Safe in the knowledge of what this object was, arguably a spy balloon or a weather balloon, depending on which superpower you believe, people were largely bemused, if not a bit unsettled. Then others began to appear. The unidentified flying entities. The media hilariously refused to identify them as unidentified flying objects, which is, of course, exactly what they were and still are. 
and they were shot down over the US and Canadian airspace and sparked a worldwide mini-alarm that we may not be alone in the universe. At the time of this broadcast, the non-terrestrial entities have not revealed themselves to the great public, and we still don't know what those US Air Force pilots shot down. Extraordinarily, however, senior US military personnel and White House spokespeople have been forced to deny the arrival of extraterrestrials on Earth. And now, we will probably begin seeing orbs and saucers and strange lights in the sky all over the world. Because that's what we human beings do when these unexplained events occur. And there is historical precedent for this. Not just in the United States, but all across the world, including right here in Tipperary. People were seeing UFOs all over the world in the 1950s. In fact, the first publicised sighting was by a private pilot named Kenneth Arnold in 1947, when he reported seeing nine bright saucer-like objects while flying his plane in Washington State. And so it began. The Arnold story sparked a rash of sightings all across America, and newspapers were soon reporting that UFOs were being seen in every state. There was a major psychological factor at play here. America was still reeling from the Second World War and the audacious attack on Pearl Harbor. The Soviet Union was in the preliminary stages of flexing its nuclear muscles. Initially and briefly, the Pentagon did give consideration as to whether the sightings could be of actual extraterrestrial craft, but they gave up on this fairly quickly. This was also the year of a press release from the US Army Air Forces. In the summer of 1947, the Roswell Army Airfield in New Mexico announced, and I quote, that the many rumours regarding the flying disc became a reality yesterday when the intelligence office of the 509th Bomb Group of the 8th Air Force Roswell Army Airfield was fortunate enough to gain possession of a disc through the cooperation of one of the local ranchers and the sheriff's office of Chavez County, unquote. Within a day or two, the US government was fully involved, and the story of what was found changed from a saucer to a weather balloon. The Roswell incident has spawned an absolute wealth of analysis, from serious scientific analysis to the so-called tinfoil hat brigade, to those in the middle who possess a healthy distrust of any official story put forward by any government on anything. At the very least, it's likely that the Roswell incident was a smokescreen for something else. Hollywood, of course, played a major role, as these sightings provided fodder for numerous big-budget conspiratorial movies full of paranoia about the impending doom that would be brought on by an alien invasion. Movies such as The Day the Earth Stood Still, Invaders from Mars, Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, and Invasion of the Saucer Men all caught the public imagination. Remember the time period in which this was taking place. It was very soon after the end of the Second World War. Global powers were realigning and reorganising. The Cold War was underway. Threat, menace and suspicion were everywhere, even in Tipperary. It's believed that the first reported sighting of a flying saucer over Clonmel took place on the night of the 2nd of April 1950. A gentleman named Kevin and I'm going to withhold his last name here, from O'Rahilly Avenue in Clonmel, was walking down the mall at about 20 to 11. It was a Sunday night. Kevin happened to look up to the sky, possibly to catch a glimpse of an eclipse of the moon that was being talked about for that night. Kevin did not see an eclipse of the moon. He saw something altogether different. In Kevin's words, a circular reddish disc 
with a flaming tail moved at a steady pace across the heavens in a southeasterly direction over Clonmel. He first caught sight of this entity in a bright patch of the sky, but within three or four seconds it had moved into the clouds. He followed the path of the object with his eyes, and it appeared once more, only to disappear into the clouds again. He had sight of this mysterious vision for just six seconds. The witness to this anomaly heard the noise of a regular aircraft at about the same time and was quite certain it did not come from the mystifying object. How could he be so certain of this? We do not know. He explained the sighting with the aid of a rough sketch of the entity, describing it as, and I quote, a kind of tadpole with a tail of flame, unquote. It seems Kevin was quite aware of the scepticism with which his mysterious story would be greeted, and he offered up two further eyewitnesses who also claimed to see a flying saucer. A gentleman named Patrick, from Kickham Street, corroborated Kevin's story. We're not certain if the men were walking together or happened to be on the street at the same time, but Patrick claimed that Kevin drew his attention to what he was seeing in the sky at that very moment. Patrick described the sighting as, and I quote, a ball of fire with a tail out of it, unquote. A third man, named David, was walking with Patrick when he claimed to have seen the object first. He described how an airplane was indeed passing over Clonmel at the time, but was going in the opposite direction to the flaming disc. No other reports came in of a mysterious object in the sky above Clonmel from that particular night. Later that year, on the night of Monday the 25th of December 1950, that was Christmas night, a gentleman named Joseph, who was a banker, claimed to have seen a flying saucer over the village of Capo White. At ten past ten, at night, he was standing in the village square when he spotted what he described as, and I quote, a great ball of fire travelling at a terrific speed from the southwest to the northwest, unquote. Interestingly, he could hear no sound, and within ten seconds the object was gone out of sight, leaving only a trail of light and smoke in its midst. Joseph did alert some of the neighbours to come and see what he had seen, but the event was over so quickly that most were just in time to see a stream of light left behind by the airborne vehicle. We take another rare diversion outside Tipperary for our next sighting. In November 1950, a so-called revolving object about the size of a football flashed across the sky over Dungarvan at a terrific rate. Some weeks later, on a Sunday night in mid-December 1950, a local businessman reported that, while he was taking a walk on the seafront, quote, he was attracted by a brilliant light flashing across the sky and giving off twinkling bluish glare, unquote. The entity moved upward in the sky before heading out to sea where it disappeared. The man was clear that this was not a falling star as it had been heading upwards. He provided the national press with a detailed report of what he had seen. And in fact, a number of eyewitnesses from the East Waterford area reported seeing what they called strange objects flying across the sky during the previous week. Now, for the Fran Curry fans among you, a year later, there was even a brief extraterrestrial scare at Anacarty. In December 1951, something landed in the sports ground at Anacarty. This turned out not to be technology from another planet. It was, in fact, and I quote, a parachute to which was attached a three-valve wireless set, unquote. This was found to contain a message from none other than the Department of Industry and Commerce. Historical analysis by many experts confirms that the senior officials at the Irish Civil Service had their feet firmly rooted on planet Earth during the early 1950s. So the mind boggles on this one. In 1953, the Nationalist reported that flying saucers dated back to the 18th century, though 
not likely over Clonmel. Citing reports from the Catholic Digest, it was claimed that the earliest reports came from the United Kingdom and Europe, while the first sightings in America came in 1873. In line with the rise in the phenomenon in popular culture, 373 sightings were investigated by the American Air Force Intelligence between 1947 and 1949. What people claimed to see fell into one of four categories. Flying discs, torpedo or cigar-shaped bodies without wings, spherical or balloon-shaped objects, and balls of light. The degree of fear that generally existed among ordinary people in 1950s Ireland about the arrival of flying saucers is questionable. This was a bleak decade, with low employment and high emigration. People had a lot more to worry about. There was one area of life for which the existence of life on other planets would have had, and would still have, unique consequences, however. And that was in the area of faith and religion. In 1957, the Tipperary Star assured its readers that if a flying saucer landed in their garden, they may well have nothing to fear from its pilot. He could be a being created by God with no desire for evil and therefore would not wage a war or harm others. Interestingly, despite being enlightened and able to travel across the galaxy, E.T., according to this analysis, was still a man. The newspaper did have a word of caution, however from a redemptorist theologian named Father Francis J. Connell. There was a possibility that E.T., and I quote, may be strongly inclined to evil, unquote. He claimed that Catholic teaching did not rule out the possibility of life, perhaps akin to our own, on other planets. He pointed out diplomatically, and I quote, theologians have never dared to limit the omnipotence of God to the creation of the world we know, unquote. So tonight, as you look into the skies over Clonmel, Kappa White, the border with Waterford, or indeed to the starry heavens above Anacarty, you may ask yourself any number of questions. Are we really alone in the universe? Are they watching us up there from somewhere? Are they here already? And most importantly of all, why were there no reports of flying saucers over North Tipperary in 1950? Until they finally make themselves known to us, I'm afraid the answers must remain part of Tipperary's hidden history. <laughs> oh, don't you love him? Don't you love him? That's a great Dr. Connor really. Now, there is a theory, of course, that he was taken away at some stage or other by aliens and they sort of interfered with him and then sent him back. Now, it might explain a lot, but I'm not one for conspiracy theories myself, of course. Thanks to Connor. And uh, it just reminds me, hello to my lovely aunt, Rosari, who is Connor Reedy's biggest fan. Absolutely biggest fan, for sure. All right, we'll take a break and we're back with gardening. Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. Now, speaking to uh, Detective Sergeant uh, Declan O'Carroll a little earlier on, but we have an addition um, to what we spoke about because uh, Gardaí are appealing for anybody who may have seen or noticed anything suspicious in Parkmore Heights in Ross Gray yesterday evening. 
sometime after 7pm, seemingly a house was entered through, uh, through the front and a number of items were stolen and the Gardaí are asking anybody who may have witnessed anything or anybody suspicious in that area to, con- uh, to contact Nina Guard Station. OK, so that's Parkmore Heights in Ross Grey just after 7pm yesterday. All right, then, it's time for gardening. Delighted to be joined, as usual, by Alton Nesbeth of Centenary Home and Garden. Good morning to you, Alton. Good morning, Frank. Good to talk to you today. You're going to talk to us a little bit about rockeries and perennials to uh, plant now for for a bit of colour, I suppose, Alton. Yeah, and really, uh, like this time of year, the rockeries, rockery plants and, and perennials really come into their own. And and they're, they're a fantastic plant, really, because um, they're so hardy and uh, they tend to self-seed and come up in little crevices and, uh, you know, they, they spread quite easily and just give such an array of colours throughout the garden as well. So I like I like things like you know, the Arbretias, the Arabis, or the Alison Saxophiles. These are lovely rockery perennials that will tend to... Uh, you, you often see them cascading down over, over rocks, mm. even on walls and things like that. Um, and they give a great, great colour. Now, this, they're so easy to grow. I mean, even if you get packs of seed of them and throw and grow them, uh, they, they come up quite well. But I, I we have um, quite a large selection of lovely rocky perennials in stock now at the moment. Now, things like um, uh, the, the Arbretias, as I say, these are almost, they're almost going to be really three foot in length. Like they, they cascade down three foot. Um, let's say if you have a dry stone wall, um, uh, they'll, they'll, they'll cascade down. So you can plant them through the crevices of the wall and they'll grow quite happily in that and will tell self-seed down mm. along the wall as well. And how do you go about that, Alton? Yeah, well, well, what I tend to do is, with, with the dry stone wall, I get a, a little bit of topsoil, something like the, the uh, multi, multi-purpose um, with added Johnny Lee's compost, mm. and put that into the crevices of the, of, of the, the wall, dry stone wall. And then plant your, your plants, your, your aquilegias, your alison saxophile, your your saxophages, even a thing called aquilegia. Now the aquilegia is like the like a bishop's cap. Um, it has this uh, quite a, a lovely delicate type flower that hangs upside down, and you have this almost like a bishop's hat uh, 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 shape to the flower. Yes. Um, and these are these come in a variety of colours as well, but they're lovely delicate type flowers that we've loved in pink and white and yellow and blue as well. There's a lovely kind of purpley blue um, one that you can get with a white eye. Uh, and they're, they're quite nice uh, to put into through the crevices of, of the wall. Also, to have things that will come into flower right through the whole summer, like the lovely dianthus. And now the dianthus are like, like the little pink carnations, mm. the, the buttonhole carnations, I, I call them. And they have lovely scent off them as well. Um, uh, and um, they're quite a, quite a hardy plant as well. A thing called Campanula. Um, the, the blue companion, the bell uh, flower, it's called, and these have lovely blue flowers. Um, again, if you put those uh, into uh, the crevices of the wall, they'll come into full bloom as well. And very, very easy plants to grow. You often see them growing by the coast of Ireland as well. They have these lovely um, things called Ameria saxophile. It's it's um, Ameria citrist. It's lovely, almost like drumstick flowers, um, with lovely pink flowers or white flowers on them, and they grow, 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 quite, grow quite happily as well. Dwarf um, uh, tulips, which would be nice as well, just to mix in with a few uh, spring bulbs. Tulips, a thing called fritillaria as well, which would be quite nice as well, um, or even a thing called stashes, it's uh, lamb's ears. And this is almost, when you touch the leaf of it, it's almost like it's touching a lamb's ears. It's almost this kind of mm. almost uh, really woolly, woolly type leaf off it, which is really nice. Lovely silver foliage as well. And, and a lot of those plants you can have that have different different foliage, foliage as well as um, uh, different coloured flowers as well. Again, they don't need that much um, soil. 
um, and they do like um, a dry, rocky, rocky area. So this is why they grow naturally up in the Alps, in, in, in the Rockies. Very good. And what about uh, dividing um, and lifting these uh, perennials as well? Yeah. Now, um, this is a great time of year is to look at your, your herbaceous perennial plants. Now, things like your hostas, um, or even your peony roses, mm. um, um, uh, your gladioli, or, or even the, the uh, crocosmia lucifer, um, and um, also uh, the rebecchias, things that you can lift and divide now, that, we, that you can spread throughout your whole garden so that you have um, a, a much better display of flowers uh, throughout the garden. So, again, all of these plants are starting to, to emerge. Uh, they're starting to sprout up. So especially with the, um, the hostas, you'll find these kind of almost like spear-like um, growth coming up from, from the base of it. And this is time to lift and divide them. So try and get as much of a, a root ball as possible uh, around the, the stool of, of the, uh, the um, hosta and lift it and get a sharp uh, spade and, and, and divide that. Now, with one, one um, stool, you probably get about five plants out of it. Oh. You can d- divide it by five. Um, and then uh, transplant them. Uh, again, tra- transplant them the same depth as what they were at, so just below the soil surface. Um, again, give them really good watering after after transplanting them. It's ideal as well if you can give them just a, a sulfate potash, just a fistful of sulfate potash at the base of the plants. That would just give them a really good start again. Now, a lot of the, the taller um, herbaceous perennials, things like the delphiniums or the, the foxgloves, things like that, um, it's good to um, give a plant support around those as they grow up, um, they can grow, grow through this uh, plant support to give them support because um, you don't want them um, getting caught in the wind and snapping the, 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 the branches because they are a little bit delicate. So again, give them a, a plant support, either bamboo cane or you can get these herbaceous perennial um, plant supports to push above them. Um, and as they grow, it supports them from any, any wind damage. Very good. Uh, Geraldine was on to us uh, from Nina. I love some of the uh, names of plants. She said, what should I do with a pot of angel wings that was badly damaged by frost? It has some good leaves on it, says Geraldine. Yeah, the, the angel wings is a lovely thing. It's almost like the stashies. That's that almost like a um, uh, uh, lamb's ear uh, look on it. Yeah. Um, it has this lovely silver foliage. Now, the angel wings are a little bit sensitive to frost. It's very important to have those plants in the summer where it's um, as sunny and dry. Uh, uh, situation really so well drained um, soil uh, in the sunny position sheltered from from um, any frost as well so re- usually at the base of a wall is ideal for them um, now the thing about the, the lamp here if you has got damaged by frost um, just take away any of the damage or or, or die back on the foliage of of the the, um, the, the angel wings to remove that uh, as much as possible that will, that will encourage it to produce more shoots at the very, very base of the plant and, and bring it on quite well. Um, again, a little bit of gravel just along the top part of, of the angel wings. That will help in drainage so there's no moisture or rot um, at the top of the plant. So a little bit of gravel, just a top dressing uh, on the top of the angel wings. That will protect it from any cold weather as well, oh. but also uh, give good drainage at the top of the plant. That's a very good tip indeed. Um, a listener says, I planted daffodils and tulip bulbs um, a week ago. Will they flower this year or is it too late? Um, you will get a certain amount of flowers from it, but not the display that you want. Really, uh, it's much better to plant your tulips uh, really between September and, and um, uh, March really is trying to get them in uh, as early as you can, mm. really in early, early, late, late autumn, really, is a good time to do it. But um, if you just plant them now, you will get a certain amount of display, but not 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 the, to the quality that you want. So really, it to be next year that you'll get the full benefit from it. 
All right. Um, if you cut down a large tree, um, should you paint it with something to stop it growing again? I think you spoke to us about this a month ago. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. What, what we'd have is a thing called root out. Um, it, it's, a, it's a roundup rump stump killer that you put onto the stump of the, of, of the tree. And this will, will rot the whole root system for you. So it stops it from re-sprouting. Things like this, so if you have elder or, or even um, uh, a sambucus or even uh, another thing called um, uh, elum, uh, if you cut them down to the very bases, they tend to re-sprout again from the very, very bases of the tree. And you don't really want that coming up all over the place. So especially to put down a roundup stump killer onto the stump of the, the um, tree and that will get rid of any, any sprouts that may come up during the springtime. Uh, I know you've dealt with this a number of times, but would you fly through it from me, for me? Because a listener says, um, I'm cutting the grass today. How should I tackle the moss problem? That's uh, a listener in uh, Ross Gray. Yeah, with, with um, moss in lawns, um, and it's really prevalent this time of the year, mm. uh, those moss tends to uh, take over. So it's a good idea it's just to raise your arm up high doing doing a tip more on the lawn just to expose the moss first of all and then do a dressing of the hydra it's a green force hydra weed feed and moss killer um, as, and this is granulated so if you have a lawn spreader set it to number three and just spread that over the lawn nice and evenly and now that takes about uh, three weeks for that to work in it so allow keep the lawnmower high for about three weeks allowing the uh, the hydra weed feed muscular to work in, in on the moss and that will, will tend to the moss will tend to disappear and, and there's a fertiliser in that as well that allows the grass to thicken up in those kind of patch areas where the moss has been. So again, use the, the Hygia weed feed muscular. Okay, Hygia, would you just spell, the, spell that for us? Yeah, the, the, the Hygia is H-Y-G-E-I-A um, mm. and it comes in a 15 kg bag and that would do about 750 square metres. All right, uh, an interesting one. We planted heathers in June or July of last year. They didn't grow in size at all, and they now seem to be dead. I'm just wondering what we did wrong. We dug holes, we placed the contents of the pot all in the hole. We were watering it, but we were told we didn't need it to do so, so we stopped after about two months. Well, with heathers, if they dry out at all, they don't recover. They're, they're very fussy that way, so you really have to keep watering them well for the first year just to, to get them settled in and then they'll, they'll, they'll uh, transplant quite easily. So really the whole thing with heathers as well is always planting in an ericaceous compass if at all possible. Now they are lime tolerant heathers, um, this is the erica carnias, but you also have Debesia or, or Coluna varieties that are more acidic plants and they, they definitely need um, uh, an ericaceous compost when you're planting them in, in, into that. Um, and as well as when you are washing them, try and use rainwater as much as possible. You don't want any lime in the water, so use some um, uh, rainwater if all possible to water them well. Um, and also, uh, to get them really started quite well, is um, an ericaceous feed, something like the sequestered vine or, or, or um, rhododendron azalea feed, uh, a liquid feed o- over the, the plants. And that gives them a really good start. So it's much better to plant heathers, let's say, in the fall of the year. So always in the autumn time is a good time to, to plant your heathers. So they don't dry out and they get a much better start then right through the winter months into the spring. Right. So they were given incorrect information when they were told not to water them. Yeah, they really should water them yeah. well because really ericas uh, or heathers, um, uh, once, once they get, go beyond a certain point of, of drought, uh, they don't recover, they, they, they don't um, take quite well. Um, so it's much imp- very important. Because heathers 
I mean, they do grow in kind of a boggy ground, mm. you know, in, mm. in, 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 in wetland areas. So it's very important to have them as moist as much as possible to give them a really good start. Right. A listener wants to know, is there a kind of varnish to be put on a new concrete yard to stop it going green with what? With moss, I suppose, and stuff, yeah? Uh, with, with the, there is um, uh, 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 sealant that you can put on onto um, uh, paved areas. Uh, it's, a, it's a sealant uh, spray that you put over, over the, the um, uh, concrete path or, or um, uh, on paving, um, and that, that's a sealant uh, spray. Now, normally with this time of the year, you will get an awful lot of green algae and moss growing, especially in shaded areas or where it's very, very damp or, or uh, shaded by the house. That, that's not getting much, much sunlight on it. Uh, that you get an awful lot of green algae growing on it. Now, what I tend to use is thing called it's a tip-top um, uh, uh, path clear. Um, and that's a, it's a pink, comes in a pink um, uh, five-liter uh, drum, and it's, it's about um, 16 euros for it. Now, and use one liter to five liters of water and spray that over the whole area. And that will get rid of any um, algae or moss that's on your tarmac, Adam, or even on your path as well. Very good. Somebody wondering about a feed uh, for house plants that are turning yellow. Uh, the best feed for, for um, house plants is, is the, the baby bio. Um, house plant food, okay? And now all you want is about two or three drops into the saucer uh, of the, the house plant. Um, and uh, again, let's take it up a capillary um, from the base of the, the pot up. Um, so always fill the, the saucer of water and then two or three drops of, of the um, baby biofeed into that and that will green it up quite well. Now, we also have, if, if, if it's very bleached, if, if the, the foliage of the plant is very bleached looking, um, you can get the question of iron uh, sachets um, and you can put the sachet into the saucer and that will, will green up the foliage quite well for you. So the question of iron sachets are quite good or the baby bio uh, plant food. John bought a mature holly tree uh, nine years ago. It cost him €150 Euro at the time. He said when I bought it, it was full of berries, but no berries since I planted it. Yeah, um, hollies are, are they're either male or female. There's, there's one variety that will have two two male and female on, on the one hand. Mm. This is Jesse Van Tal varieties. But um, uh, you also you you all normally get um, just either a male or a female. Now, uh, when he got the, the plant, it was probably it was probably among several other um, hollies. So that's why he got good pollination. So it's very important to have another variety uh, with it um, to, to get good pollination. So I always spend if you have um. Uh, Ilex, uh, JC, uh, Ilex Aquifolium um, uh, Silver Queen but, and the Silver Queen is, is the um, male and um, Ilex Golden King then is the female so it's very important to have the, the Silver Queen and the Golden King uh, together so you have plenty of berries That's a very interesting uh, concept isn't it? Are, are many trees like that that they're yeah. either male or female? And- uh, there is. There, there, a lot of them are, are like that, actually. Yeah. So that's why you, you have to have... Um, it's almost like in, in, a, in an orchard as well. It's very important to have another variety. Like, like the cooking apple, for instance, mm. is a triploid. So you need two other varieties to cross-pollinate it uh, so that you get good good cropping from it. That's why um, a lot of the uh, more fancier trees would have about three or four varieties 
on the one tree, grafted onto the one tree, so that you'll have uh, three, or, three or four varieties on the one tree, so you get good, good, good pollination that way. Very interesting. A listener has two 15-year-old Turia trees. Mm-hmm. They were green, now turning brown. Is there anything that can be done about this? Yeah, with uh, two years, they get a thing called uh, phytophthora. It's, it's, it's like a fungus that attacks the root system. And then they suddenly go start going brown. You have one that will go, will go brown and then three or four that would be perfect. And then another one that will go brown in a row. Um, so it's very important to use thing called magnesium salt at the base of your two years. Um, just a fistful of that magnesium salt at the very base. That will give us um, much more vigour and, and gives it more disease resistance to uh, phytophthora uh, attack at the root system. So uh, magnesium salt, a good feed of that at the base of the two emeralds um, will, will revive them back. Now, a lot of the needles uh, will be gone burnt orange on you. So just shake them all off as much as possible or prune back to where there is good growth. And that will encourage uh, healthier growth again. During the dry spells, especially in the middle of May, um, it's very important to water the two years quite well uh, with, uh, with rainwater, if at all possible. But magnesium salt at the base of the two years will revive them. All right. So great to talk to you and uh, happy gardening, Alton. Thank you, Alton Elizabeth there of Centenary Home and Garden. That's it for me. Emma produced Ali, looks after our content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Look after yourselves, won't you? Bye bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.